the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be here with us this morning. Give us a call at 901-260-5926. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Damas Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, the retired fat little nurseryman <laughs> dude. <laughs> I didn't say that. The no, dude. dude. Let's call him the dude. <laughs> hey, there is a pair of shoes out there called the, uh, hey dudes. Dude. Hey dudes. Hey dudes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hey what dude. about last night? I mean, ooh, lordy. I know. They kind canceled so much stuff. I thought the first round was, I thought it was supposed to be severe, like around five or so. And then when yeah. all that went through and nothing happened, I was like, okay, we're good. And then as time progressed, it's like, wait, what was that noise? That's exactly <laughs> right. I mean, I got home and then my mom called and she said, you know, she was hee-hawing around like, D- can you come get me? <laughs> so I went and got her, got back home. We had dinner and, you know, watching the news, of course. Mm-hmm. And everything was going on around us, to the south of us and to the north of us. And, you know, and God helped those people that were involved in, you know, tornadoes and so forth. But in the center, in the core, I mean, it was pretty calm. So I thought everything was over. So I scooped my mom up and get her back home, get back home. And then about 945, here comes <laughs> the wind and the rain. I'm like, what? what? Is hey, going did it on? actually rain? It it did. It, it it hadn't rained not one drop at my house until yeah. about 945, and that last little thing came uh-huh. through, and it rained so hard for about five minutes, I couldn't even see oh. uh, out the window. But other than that, that's that's all I got, you know? Well, so I guess I'm going to have to water plants today. Well, I was waiting and, and waiting. And, and I was saying the same thing. Actually, I needed a little bit of rain around the house. But I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't care if I didn't get any. Yeah. But at the very, very, very end, I did get a lot of wind mm-hmm. and and some rain. So, Well, hmm. let's see. The wind was so intense that whatever rain we've gotten, the plant, it's just, it's just uh, been blown off. Well, <laughs> there's, no, there's no moisture left in these plants. Of course, my whole thing was... Today's Saturday. The, mm-hmm. the storms came through Friday night, okay? Well, I knew that I needed to cut my grass before the storm came through. So I got out there Thursday after work, yeah. rushed home, cut the front yard, weed it, did all that stuff, got the ride lawnmower out and cut the backyard for the first time. I just want to get everything kind of knocked down, get everything cleaned up. Well, then, and I was in a hurry, and it was dark when I got done, okay? You know, my neighbors were thinking, there he goes again yeah. out there in that one-eyed lawnmower. They're like, well, you know, it's Ken- dark. one-eyed lawnmower. Well, we know yeah. Ken is fine because he's still too routine. But my point, though, was I was thinking last night, and I hadn't had any rain come through at all. I was like, you know, did I really have to rush out there and do it because I'm not even going to get any rain? I was doing it because I knew it was going to rain. Right. Well, eventually it did, but I was like, Lord. Oh, so you almost pulled the wash your car and it won't rain. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, we're through with that and it looks like it looks like this week's going to be great and it's the weekend, the week before Easter. Oh, yeah. So we're sneaking our plants in the ground already. We are and and, and that's the thing. You know, everybody wants to have their place looking great for mm-hmm. Easter, right? Whether it's in containers, whether it's a little bed area, 
And we all know the frost date's April 15th. I was telling some, some people yesterday that were buying bedding plants, and I just said, look, just be careful, be aware. If you put anything tender in the ground before the 15th, if you see any frost advisories, and we might not have any, who knows? I said, just be prepared to go out there and cover these tender little plants. And she looked at me, she said, you know, Easter is next weekend, right? Yeah, That's right. all that mattered, you know? I know. So, yeah, well, I get it. Where are we? Let's see. So we're, what, 10 day, 15, what's today? Is today April Fool's? April Fool's April Day. Fool's. That's what I thought. That's yeah, what I, I thought. Yeah, I thought about, you know, when we started on, told them <laughs> doing we're a becoming little, a country western station. Yeah. yeah. Doing a little right. prank over there, <laughs> yeah. Jim. Right. Well, this is our last show. We're going to be hee-hawing now after this. Well, y'all, we could because y'all haven't heard me sing. Oh, we could be a country oh, oh, western? Oh, yeah, we could. Oh, man, I'm so glad we've got a backup here <laughs> because, you know, if if we can't talk about gardening, we can sing. So today's <laughs> the first. We're talking about two weeks before the official frost yeah. date. Now, when it comes to planting trees and shrubs, yeah. perennials, you're fine. The only thing I want to be a little careful with and just be aware is all I'm saying is the vegetables and the little bedding plants. You know, if you stick those in the ground, just be prepared. If we, if you think we're going to have a frost, go out there and cover them with a sheet or some frost cloth. Well, Don't see any lows below 50 or, uh, other than Sunday night. Sunday night looks like 44, and then from 44 there is no big out, deal. Yep. Yeah, from there on out, 50 is the lowest to see for the next 14 days or so. Wouldn't that be awesome, mm-hmm. y'all? Here it is, April Fool's Day, and we don't have to worry about any more cold weather. Oh, no, it's looking that way. I think I thought we'd still before Easter. You know how you have that cold where you can't wear your Easter dress weather? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm referring to growing up. I yeah. always remember. Yeah, wearing your Easter dress. <laughs> God, time to, I'm sure uh, you still got one hanging in the closet. Right, there's something somewhere. Yeah, it looks like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday's rain, but maybe, maybe not. So, you know, it's a spring. I'm saying this is a good spring week coming up. And, yep, okay, so I'm not going to say go plant 10 flats of um, impatience. But I'm going to say if you do, you might be okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And all the new um, color that's coming out. I love looking at the availability and trying to decide Mm -hmm. between the 30 colors Mm -hmm. of petunias, which Mm -hmm. colors somebody's going to come in and want. Isn't that the truth? And not only petunias. I mean, every bedding plant type plant Mm -hmm. out there now has got 18 million different colors. I mean, look at the calibration now, the little million bells. Oh, Oh, no. I mean, and they're beautiful. They're all nice looking. I mean, Do I want to order the one that's... Double pink or the one single pink with the white around the edge or just the pink. Oh. And then in the pink, there's seven colors. So which color of the pink? They all of them. <laughs> I know. My mind's just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, but it, I mean, like I said, they're all, and there's so many different selections now, which is great. These breeders have gone crazy on all these different type of plants. Uh, but that's good. I mean, people have, that's good they have choices, you know? And then, of course, Veda, it, yesterday was the first day I was talking to a lady about a, a planter, and it made me always think of you and Jim about the the thriller. Is that what it is that you yeah, put in the center? The thriller. The filler that you put around it, and then the dripper that yeah, you put. Spiller. 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 <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, My I bad. can't go with dripper. Well, let's think of something that rhymes with dripper. <laughs> we got filler, spiller. Now I can't say you got it. the thriller in the center. <laughs> center. You've got the filler <laughs> around it. Right. Then you have the spiller, spiller that comes it. out down the side <laughs> of the pot. So yeah, I was thinking about y'all because I, you know, years ago was the first mm-hmm. time I heard that coming out of one of y'all's mouth. So I'm trying to think. So not trying to think. Yeah, I always try to think. Yeah. But I was thinking that that used to really be. I mean, every single container was built 
with the three in mind, the thriller, filler, spiller. And it doesn't have to be that right. way. But then, so it seemed like we all did it like that forever. And now I'm finally seeing people breaking off from it and just doing like one type of plant in a container. Yeah, and I've always said this before too. Veda is very creative. And I've seen containers that she's done before. So the whole thriller, filler, spiller, <clears throat> you know, format, mm-hmm. I've seen her do ornamental grasses. I've seen her do ryegrass. I've seen her do perennials mixed with annuals. I'm like, huh, perennials with annuals? What are you doing? And it looks ground covers, mm-hmm. you know, with perennials. It doesn't matter. Yeah. As long as it looks good uh, and you get some bloom out of it, if that's what you're looking for, you're, it, it, there's there's no written way that you have to no. do it. No, I think you, you pick what you like. Someone had posted on a, a page they had a container and laid out their plants, like how they were going to plant it, and then ask, you know, what do you think about it? And, you know, everybody kind of give a give some information. And they had a alocasia that was, or an elephant ear that's going to grow up in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then they had two <clears throat> smaller lantanas next to it. And then they had two tall celosias on the outside of the container. Mm-hmm. And then something <clears throat> to, to thrill, to spill over, <laughs> thrill over. And I was... I thought, well, you know, maybe you should actually switch that coleus to put it closer to the elephant ear. So you still got a lot of your height in the middle of right. your lantana can Instead be. Instead of just sticking out on the ends right otherwise there. otherwise you might have like two donkey ears. Yeah, you know, the saying. coleus on each side of the container sticking up like And ears. I'm sure the elephant ears that they put in the center were, were one of these newer you know, fabulous looking, exotic Mm -hmm. elephant ears, not just the old green elephant ear that we grew up with, you know? That's probably collector. I mean, but there's so many different varieties. Some of them have those big veins in the ears and, of course, lots of different colors. Some of them look like they've been dipped in wax, you know, just shiny as everything. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, what's your favorite now? Oh, well, it's first this break. I'm going to ask you a question and then go, what's Well, also, when we get back from the break, I'm going to, we're going to talk about, (laughs) and Bamboo. I was having a discussion with a gentleman yesterday about giant bamboo. All right. Giant bamboo and elephant ears. We're going to listen to Jim when we get back. Yeah. Give us a call. 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Um, Alocasia, Calocasia, elephant ears. Jim, I know you like a lot of them. I do. Two different ones. And caladiums. You're a caladium man, too? Well, n- not, not particularly. I mean, I, I like them, but, you know, in, in sunny areas, you've just got so much more versatility with, with elephant ears, you know, mm-hmm. and from things like the teacup that has the, looks like it holds water. Yeah. Uh, mm. The, was it, stingray? The, oh, I have heard the, of stingray. The leaf looks like, you know, it's got a really long point, so it looks like a stingray. Oh, I haven't seen that one, though. Yeah, That's they're, cool. Yeah, there are a whole bunch of them, you know. And what uh, about using them as a bog plant? Uh, most of them you can, you know. Yes. I mean, can't you just stick them right there down in the water, really? Pretty much, yeah. And they'll they'll just do their thing. So, I mean, like you were just saying, very versatile, Jim. And, Veda, you were mentioning putting them out there in full sun. See, when I was growing up, I always thought that elephant ears, you know, you want to put them like kind of tucked in the corner yeah, there. In the shade. In the shade. Yeah, they'll take all the sun you want to give them. As long as they got plenty of water. Yes. I know. Why did we think that? I thought that too, that elephant ears had to have some shade. And of course, at one point when we were kids, I mean, you did get the dare. You know, somebody's <laughs> going to rip off a little piece of that elephant ear and say, here, nibble on this. Mm-hmm. 
We all did it. You Who know, did you y'all know, hang around with? I never heard of Calcium oxalate yeah, there not, sure You're not supposed you to do it. Yeah, it will. Ooh, what does it do? Oh, it's got little crystals in, in it that would it, just it tear your tongue your, up. It's like <laughs> Diffenbachia. It makes, oh. makes your mouth tingle. Oh, yeah. We had a discussion go. about that this week on the, on the Facebook group because mm-hmm. somebody had, was talking about Star Bethlehem. Yeah. And they have the same thing. Which in it looks it. like an onion. Yeah. yeah. If you if you eat it, uh, you're not likely to swallow it because it stings so rapidly. Yeah. But we all took yeah. the dare, you know, you? just had to do it. Yes. I missed that. I don't know what I was doing. I only did it I missed once. that one. Thank goodness. Well, I know the Diffenbachia was called the dumb cane because right. it would numb your tongue or your mouth or mm-hmm. something. It can make your throat swell and make difficulty breathing. Yeah. In well. fact, we have a wonderful file in our, on our Facebook group called Poisonous Plants. Mm-hmm. It breaks down plants into three categories. One where they're, it's actually poisonous to you. Mm-hmm. Then one that has that have calcium oxalates, and, the, and there's a huge group of them. Which makes it, your and tongue so and your mouth very uncomfortable. Right. You're not likely to eat enough of it to harm you, but, I mean, it is conceivable. And then also those that cause rashes and mm-hmm. things like that. So it's a good, <laughs> good file. Got a lot of stuff yeah. in it. And you'd be surprised how many plants that... You yeah. walk by every day yeah. that are on that list. This is so true, but but we're not walking around nibbling on them, so we don't have exactly. to worry about it. That, that's the problem, yeah, you know. Right. But then you also hear about you know a lot of these plants are they uh, toxic to dogs and cats? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a lot of pet owners have those questions, yeah. and a lot of them are, you know. So they want plants, um, even house plants, for example. You know, I've heard a lot of people talk about not wanting a sago palm because they are toxic mm-hmm. to to animals, but you know, I've never heard of a of of a poisoning from one and try to eat one I, you know that you know, i don't think that's very desirable yeah. taste foliage wise usually poisonings mouth. come from you know little tiny children or mm-hmm. um uh, young taking, puppies that are exploring their world by taste or, <laughs> or people taking oh. dares yeah you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> y'all oh, some idiot would put that yeah mouth. you know <laughs> had a phone call this week uh, and remember i told y'all the story about you know, a couple months ago, or a month or six weeks ago, the lady came into the store and she said, Kenny, uh, you know, thank God for all this cold weather we got. And I was like, what, what good could come out of this cold weather that we had? It was down to zero degrees. She said, well, I think it killed my bamboo. And remember, I was like, no, 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 it didn't. It just might have knocked the leaves off of it. Well, a guy called me yesterday and he had giant bamboo. And I said, when you say giant bamboo, he said, yeah, these canes are like three inches across in diameter. Giant, giant bamboo. Yeah. And he said, of course, with that flash freeze we had, all the foliage is gone. He said, do you think it, and he was concerned, mm-hmm. do you think it killed my giant bamboo? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, anything short of a neutron bomb is not going to yeah. kill that bamboo out there. But it's legit because everything else that's out there that all the leaves were knocked off of, they look dead, potentially, mm-hmm. but a lot of this stuff isn't dead. So I was just like, you know, kind of cracking up like, does anything really kill bamboo as far as a weather event? Well, I mean, it's possible because a number of bamboos that we grow here or that we're at the far end of their northern mm-hmm. range. So it you could it could happen. But I think it would have to be colder longer than, than that. That one night. Um, I've got a bamboo that I have in a container. Uh, been in there for a number of years. Uh, and it didn't knock all the foliage off of it. In a container but, now. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's still got some leaves on it. Yeah. Uh, but the November 2019 freeze yeah. 
killed all the canes on it. Wow, okay. You know. So it can happen. I cut it yeah. back, and then it flushed right back out. Now, what know? is the deal? Because when we mention the word bamboo, people run for the hills. They just cringe for all the right reasons. You mean run to the hills? Well, run up the hill. Or run, or run from the hill. Yeah, <laughs> because... Just get away. Yeah, because, you know, we all know that bamboo, when we, when I, I just, when I, when I think of the word bamboo, I just think of this people planting bamboo for all the right reasons. I mean, it looks great. I love the way bamboo looks, but it gets away from them. It starts spreading and gets in their yard, the neighbor's yard, in the beds, everywhere. Then it's a huge mess. So what do people, I mean, other than putting down an underground barrier, which is what I always tell people, if you're going to plant bamboo to keep it confined to where you want it. I mean, other than that, I mean, what? I mean, that's all we can do, isn't it? Or you can put it in a container, but you yeah, should you, make sure the hole's plugged, right? Yeah, I wouldn't want to okay. let it get out the bottom. But also, you know, the first thing is choose a clumping bamboo. Now, the vast majority of clumpers are tropical and would mm-hmm. survive here. Mm-hmm. But we have several that, that do. So that's number one, Jim. That's know what you're putting in the ground. Right. And, and it <clears throat> spreads, you know, but just slowly. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't pop up 20 feet from all or of a you sudden, planted it. Yeah. yeah, it's not going to lift your driveway or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so clumping bamboos, and then make sure that you get one if you want it to be perennial. That you get one that's hardy in this area. That's right. Yeah, and and we have a, another good file on bamboos. Perfect. Right. Um, that uh, in, in the system there that, that will tell you. Uh, it's got the ones that you see commercially available, and then also I have a list of ones that are a little more rare that you could have to go probably to a bamboo specialty. I mean, like a yellow cane bamboo or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, in some, some really unusual. I mean, there's some that have four to six inch canes that are uh, hardy here, but they're runners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in fact, there's a guy over in Chickasaw Gardens <laughs> who has one of these. And he, he planted it originally, and it wasn't long before it was lifting his neighbor's driveway. Crazy. You know, just popping bamboo. up wherever. Yeah. So he actually dug out this huge hole, lined it with metal, mm-hmm. you know, and replanted it back in there. Keep so, it where he wanted it. And it's slightly tilted outward. So yeah. if a root a sprout hits it, it shoots it up into the yes. air instead of going under it. But yeah. he went, you know, five or six feet deep with this. Uh, and wow. in the spring, it just, when it comes up, it's, you can watch it grow. I mean, it's just, it goes from, you know, no height to 50 feet in just a matter of days. And I we can't like that. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I love, and bamboo mm-hmm. does a lot of things for us. As mm-hmm. far as a natural barrier, a sound barrier. I've got a friend that lives over here by the interstate on Shady Grove. And bamboo is flanking that whole mm-hmm. side of his yard that's next to the interstate. And it's, it's a wonderful sound buffer. Yeah. But I guess, you know, if you're going to do that, just be careful with the variety that you're planting. And I'm like, Jim, I'd rather plant the clumping varieties than the spreading varieties just because they're easier to to control. But if you do get that spreading variety, like Jim was also just saying, you make sure you put down some of these underground barriers. If not, you would just, you will, it would run you crazy is what it would do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the question is, how do you kill it if you got it and don't want it? Well, the most effective thing that I have found is to mix Roundup glyphosate with triclopyr. Which is a brush killer. Which is a brush killer. And what you'll want to do is let it get up, get foliage on it, let it get tall. Spray it, and you'll knock most of it down, then cut it off at the ground. And then as they sprout again, Mm -hmm. let them get about three feet tall, spray them again. Mm -hmm. 
if you keep mowing them off, they're going to keep re-sprouting. They have huge amount of, of carbohydrates stored in the root system. And to be able to get that dead, you've got to be able to get enough chemical on the foliage. So just the cutting every time it comes up, the snipping's not going to get it, rid of probably it. Probably not. Yeah. You need to let it get up and get more chemical on it to, to get rid now, of it. Now, do you alternate those sprays, Jim, or do you mix them together? I mix them together, together. Okay. yeah. And does it ever smoke when you do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to see. No, I'm afraid not. But okay. it, it is uh, it is very successful. So Roundup mixed with the brush killer. Uh, and it'll take a season probably. Well, it's okay. But as long yeah. as you're persistent, you can get rid of that stuff. Yep. I know. But it is so beautiful and we all want it. Um, so why do seagulls fly over the sea? Because they're called seagulls, Veda. Because yeah, if they flew over the bay, they'd be called bagels. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's a reason for everything. And look at him. He's just shaking his head. <laughs> there's a reason for everything. All right, y'all. We're going to be right back if you've got a good joke. We'd love to hear it. Or right, give us a call, 901-260-5926. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM, KWAM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I could do that's a good they just, shovel. just dance. It's like she got a shovel yeah, in here. Like, dig, throw, dig, throw. Yeah. See, gardening is so good for you. It's got to be a small shovel, though, babe. Right. And uh, your so- your plants will sing as well mm. if you have the right music. They love it. Yeah. I you mean, know I'll- they cry? I was going to say, okay, obviously now we know they cry. What do you mean? When- how, how, I don't know they cry. What do you mean? When they do cry. Yeah, when they're thirsty, if, they make popping. Right. If they're thirsty or if they've been injured, plants will cry. Oh, well, now you're making mm-hmm. me feel bad. I know. It's, I'm out there um, whacking plants all day long. Well, it's kind of kind of a cool discovery because we now know that if a plant gets thirsty, we may be able to detect that by and monitor crops better than we have before. Um, what happens is that um, they're really not real clear about how the mechanism works. But, you know, when you crack your knuckles, you're mm-hmm. popping <clears throat> nitrogen bubbles that are inside your joint. Hmm. Um, and what happens is they get bubbles in their xylem, which is the tissue that carries food and water up to the foliage. Right up under the bark. And there. they pop. Yeah. Sounds like popcorn, but it's at an ultrasound level, so very few humans can hear it. Um, bats can, things like that, but you c- it is detectable. And a normal plant will pop about once an hour. That is un. Where is this is, an April Fool's thing? No, too? this is it's this is real. gospel. Yeah. yeah, it's for real. Uh, an injured plant will do it about thirty-five times an hour. Good Lord. And this same group of people found um, did research. They were doing research on the beech primrose, Enothera drummondii, and they found that when the flower was exposed to the sound of a bee, it produced sweeter um, nectar, and so. Man. We're, we're finding out that you know there may be real relationships, you know, um, that that we would never and things like that are hearing these noises that we don't can't hear because of the frequency, 
But, you know, it's um, it's really kind of a, a, a cool thing. Man, then, there's some stuff going on out yeah. there that... I know, we yeah. were going over that yesterday at work. <laughs> they couldn't believe it was true. And then mm-hmm. Leslie comes up and she's like, well, see, now that explains why Veda stands up and goes, I know that plant's about to wilt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she goes, do you hear it? I'm like, no, I really don't. Or do I? Am I getting the vibe <laughs> from Could it? Could you be. know, I just feel like, and I, that's what I tell them. I go, see... I hear that plant just begging for water right now. I hear it, but I don't hear it. But you feel, you know, you get one with your plant. You get one with your plant. Kind of a Zen moment Mm, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, No, but it's so, I didn't want to know that. I I know that, like, where I was, the first garden center, second garden center I worked at in Texas, one Mm -hmm. of the uh, girls, her family did a lot of uh, natural and organic, they had a natural organic store, and they had to be, careful how they treated the plants because plants have feelings they can feel they can they can communicate and they were saying quit being so disrespectful to nature well and I mean, it always stuck with me you know i <laughs> wish weeds could communicate because you know i hate weeds in my yard y'all know that mm-hmm. and i'll do anything in the world whether i'm stomping on them cutting them ripping them out of the ground what well, now I hope them. you hear them. But wouldn't well, you? Yeah, I'm not sure what they've got to say though. They're yeah. he's going to lie. Well, but you would think they would <laughs> talk if they were, if that was the case. They'd be like all the other weeds. Hey, don't come over here. Right. You know? right. But this it doesn't happen crazy. that way. Or maybe they're like mad at me and say everybody come over here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. But speaking of weeds, I mean there are a lot of broadleaf weeds. I had a gentleman come in and had a wonderful array of broadleaf weeds. Yesterday, Did he bring you a bouquet of flowers. Oh look! It, I mean, he had yeah. them just laid out on the counter. I mean, it, and it was on a uh-huh. like a piece of cardboard, right. taped to it. And it was great looking. It's like a science experiment, right. you know. <laughs> and there were all broadleaf weeds, and it was probably ten to twelve different oh, varieties wow. of broadleaf weeds lined up on this piece of white cardboard, taped on there. And he, you know, he had gone through all this trouble, and and clearly he wants to get rid of these weeds. And he's like, "Man, what what do we got here?" And I was like. Well, these are all broadleaf weeds, and you can use this product. Mm-hmm. He's like, you mean I can just use one right. product for all of this? You used to not be able no, to so do he that. No, so I mean, he was know? like, he was very, you could tell he had, he had done his homework. He had gone out there and plucked one of every weed that he had. And really, all he had to do was just bring in yeah, one, you know. Be good. So it was like all this work I've done here, and all I need is that one product to get oh, rid of all these so weeds. Funny. So, well, yeah. I, yeah, I remember that... I'm trying to learn the names of all the weeds. Don't and, have to know the name and all of that. Them. And then as time progressed, <laughs> you would I would say, well, you don't need to know what it's called. Let me just show you what'll you know exactly. knock it out, and um, it became much easier. Yeah, and then but, there are, there are a few broadleaf weeds like Virginia buttonweed, and you know you need to know what that one is, and uh, wild violets. Mm-hmm. A few you might need to know what ones, that one is yeah. because they're really really hard to get rid of. A nut sedge. Yeah, well, but that's not going to be a broadleaf, though. Yeah, but it's still people bring it as a weed. It's hard to get rid of. That's right. So there are some out there that you really need to know. But for the most part, I mean, anything that's got a little leaf on it or a big leaf, and he had both, trust me, (laughs) you know, those are really classified as broadleaf weeds. So a good broadleaf weed killer sprayed on your lawn, wait about 10 days, two weeks if need be, do it again, and you'll knock those things out. But like I told this gentleman, I said, now a broadleaf weed killer, a, a pure broadleaf weed killer, is not going to kill anything but broadleaf weeds. It's not going to kill anything that looks like a grass. And he was like, well, that was my next project. Mm-hmm. I'll bring some of those in to yeah. you. You know, these weeds that look like a blade of grass. So you need something completely different from those. 
But, Vader, you were making a comment that, you know, a lot of times one product would do it all. Now you can buy herbicides that have both, Jim, you know, the broadleaf weed killers mm-hmm. and the grassy herbicides blended together. Wow. Well, that, that's <laughs> perfect for us in the southern area because we, where we have the perfect weather for the uh, broadleaf and then all of a sudden we switch to have perfect weather for the grassy and they're all both there. So this is great that one can do all. But y'all would have, y'all would have been impressed with the display that he brought by laying on the counter, man. I mean, I'm like, this guy's on it, and he's serious about yeah. getting rid of these weeds. And then, of course, think about it also. You know, I always like to think, you know, well, why do you have all these weeds in your lawn? You know, is it because it just never has been taken care of? Is it because, you know, you never put a pre-emergent down? Is it because you just moved in there a month ago and whoever was in there before you? Is so your soil bad? Did exactly. you use the wrong seed? Is it <laughs> rain too much? Is the drainage there so many? Exactly, Veda. So not only do you control and kill the weeds, but also do a little more forward thinking and go, okay, what can I do to my lawn to make it a lot more healthy than it is now? What can I do to my grass to make it a lot more thicker than it is now? Am I trying to grow the wrong grass in the in the wrong conditions or the right grass in the wrong conditions? Well, you do, so, like, like Jim, I, he solved his problem quickly. Less lawn. That's right. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> Get rid of the lawn. <laughs> yeah, he did. But, I mean, I'm just saying there are also a lot of times there's underlying problems uh, or reasons why you have all these weeds. So yeah, and a lot of them it's just the, the, the soil is lacking. It could use a little more compost. It could use <clears> some <throat> natural fertilizer. Um, pH is almost always off. We didn't yep. say that at all. That's definitely a good one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah that, that's really the first thing you should ever do, really, yep. is if you're having problems, is check that first. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, the same thing, let's say, with moss. You know, I've had so many people this year, it seems like the last two years, but this last year and this year, uh, they're, they're all of a sudden they're having a lot of moss growth in different areas. And I tell them, okay, well, you know, this moss killer will kill the moss. But what can you do to make it less conducive for that moss to come back? You know, a lot of times compaction of soil, the soil is becoming compact. So just loosening the soil through aeration, that's one, Mm -hmm. helps. Jim just mentioned pH. A lot of times that soil is becoming acidic. So adding lime, typically speaking, to raise that pH will make it less conducive for most of that moss to grow. And then a lot of times it is a shady, somewhat moist area not always, but sometimes that you can't do anything about. Right, and but, then loosening your soil yes. does help, but you want to do something to change the soil structure so it doesn't revert right back to what it was before you loosened it. You aerate that soil really good. Put a little con- layer of compost down. That compost will fall down in those holes. That'll help keep that clay soil looser, if you will, so it doesn't become compact again in two months. And then like Jim was saying, you know, check that pH. There are things, that's what I mean, that we can do mm-hmm. to help keep that moss from coming back than going out there and just killing the moss with the moss killer. Does that make sense? Total. Kind of I, like, I prefer to put the um, organic matter down and then aerate it. Well, that's a good to idea. drive yeah. it down into the soil. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it particularly, you can rent these core aerators now. You know, they're like a, a fancy tiller, uh, <laughs> but they uh, they don't dig down in the soil you can run them across roots and although it'll vibrate your brain it, you know <laughs> it's not like you know having a tiller grab a root and throw you over <laughs> so i just uh, felt all of those and yeah. i definitely like the core aeration better than just the spike i do too you know the spike is one that just 
makes a hole in the yeah. ground. The core yeah. aeration actually pulls up a core yeah. uh, or, a, or just a plug of that soil and mm-hmm. lays it there on top of the ground. Because the spike is just compacting it again. It actually is. Yeah. 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 I mean, it'll leave holes where you're organic matter can get into yeah. mm-hmm. but it's really not the the best way to aerate yeah. your soil i mean it will help yeah you're not totally doing nothing better than when nothing. you do it yeah yeah that's it better than nothing nothing okay it's a new Let's word try there. that again all right we're gonna go to a break give us a call 901-260-5926 Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back. You're listening to KWAM 107.9 FM and 990 AM. You want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926, or you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and there's Veda right there. She's live, and shoot us a text anytime you want. And if you miss all of this at any point, KWAMradio.com, streaming live all the time. Go back and listen to the podcast at your convenience. Check out the website or the Facebook page. Yes, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening and USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. And Jim, what have people been talking about this week? Well, still a lot about the freeze damage, particularly mm-hmm. plants that aren't showing anything yet. Amen. Like, like Cleara and a lot of Loripedalums, Indian Hawthorn. Um, you know, what do we do? Do we cut Camellias. them back? Do we replace them? Right. You know? So that's that's been the bulk of it. And, and what is the? I mean, what do we do if you know on those marginal plants that we just we're not seeing any? Well, green I'm of growth. the opinion now that it, it's time to go ahead and start cutting. And mm-hmm. what I would do would be, you know, on on any plant, cut about three inches off of it and see mm-hmm. if you see any green wood at all, green pliable wood. Uh, and if you don't, then cut another three inches and keep going back until gotcha. you get down and you actually find some or you don't yeah um you know i would not hold out hopes if you don't find any green wood by the time the plant's down to like five or six (laughs) inches tall yeah then you know it's probably better to just go ahead and take it out and replace it even though it might come back from the root or from the very bottom you might win the lottery but not likely Mm -hmm. yeah so uh Yep. You know, I think it's time to go ahead and, and start making decisions on, on replacing those because they're going to look ugly. They'll never come back and look like they did, you know, when the nursery grew them and when you bought them, they were nice, round, yeah. even, compacted plants. They don't grow that way naturally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so May as well it's going to have out. a long limb on one side, you yeah. know, and... and so it's, um, I think it's time to go ahead yeah. and start. And what about cryptomeria? Well, you may as well go ahead and get them out because otherwise you're going to be up all night listening to them screaming because they're in pain because yeah. they're halfway dying. And we still don't know really about cryptomeria yet, right? I, You know, I have not looked at one really close yeah. yet. Um, I wish I had. All right, but, but still, I mean, as far as we know, I mean, people are still coming in going, some people were saying they're, they're seeing a little bit of green mm-hmm. come in from the interior, uh, but still, for the most part, I mean, it's, they look today like they did, you know, yeah. six weeks ago. So My um, oak leaf holly is not showing any signs. Mm. It's, it's dying back further every really? day. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, right Rich, now, I don't believe it's going to come And I know out. the Mary Nails were having a problem, yeah. too. Well, yeah. Richard... Richard from Bracey's was around, and he said the um, oak leaf hollies were suffering. It's one of my favorite hollies. I know. Yeah. I'm surprised that those got it. Now I'm trying to figure out what these other big hollies. Is it Mary Nell's? Is that yeah. what you said? Yep. 
Yeah, so that's right. That's what I thought. So we're looking at Mary Nell's and Oak Leaf Hollies are the ones. You know, any of another? the red hollies, I think oh. that, you know, and there's a, a number of those, Liberty and mm-hmm. some of those, yeah. I think that, you know, are probably uh, severely damaged. And, and, and let's hope, and talking about, you know, the winter damage, the flash freeze damage, you know, that this isn't a reoccurring thing, guys, that, you know, we see maybe every one year, two years, three years, even five years. Let's hope this is once in a 30 or 40 year event. I mean, we don't know. Well, I mean, time will tell. But I just can't imagine living here in the Mid-South, you know, that, that we're going to get used to seeing, you know, zero degree temperatures. I just yeah, don't ever see that Not happen. when it was 72, right. you know, yeah, right, two hours days earlier. before, right. So, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it gives us something good to talk about. Now, <laughs> and, but what I would recommend is if you I always say that if you know something is dead, of course you can go out there and cut it out at any point, any point. If it's dead, dead tissue does you no good, of course. So if you know something's dead, go ahead and cut it out. But I would recommend going out, start feeding these things, especially mm-hmm. these th- ones that are flushing back out. Uh, you know, and I don't care if it's a good synthetic fertilizer that's non-burning, like a Start and Grow or an Osmocote or a Grower Special or any of those that are very slow acting. I mean, one application will feed for the next three months or something really good and organic that's non-burning, like, you know, the Milorganites or the Tone products. Any of those fertilizers are absolutely perfect to use uh, starting now because I always say when it comes... Well, when I say I always say this year, Vade in particular, Jim, is a lot of these evergreens are not replacing just a little bit of the foliage. They're having to replace all of the foliage. So a little help with a little fertilizer, a little nutrient value can't do anything but help. Yeah. You know, Nandinas, I think you're probably it's time to go ahead and shear them off the ground. Mm-hmm. They're going to come back, yeah. unfortunately. I know. But. I did see a whole <laughs> bunch at the base coming back. And yeah. I did, too. Well, there's some that I wouldn't mind if they would go away because you see them all the time looking really ratty. You know, I wouldn't mind if some of those go away. But a lot of the new varieties uh, come out uh, that they've come out with are really pretty. I love some of these but new varieties. Don't they mm-hmm. do better with some shade. Yes, I, I think mean, so. I feel like that if we put them in the blaring sun, like they, like we feel like they can take that they just don't look as good or get as big. Well, but I've had some on, on the western side. I mean, full blazing sun. As long as you keep them watered, you will get that really pretty crimson color or that, in, in this case, the ones that have the reddish hue. You do get a lot more of that if they are getting enough sun or more sun, but you got to keep them watered. But like Jim said, unfortunately, they are going to come back. But I like Veda said also, when I mentioned the word Nandina to people, they're like, what? Nandina? Have you lost your mind? But a lot of these newer varieties, uh, they look really good. They really do. I mostly, though, do actually get requests for the, the old-fashioned Nandina Every with all the berries on them. Mm-hmm. That, if you're a flower arranger, you know, a lot of people like mm-hmm. those. Yeah, because you can yeah. do your Christmas stuff with it also. Mm-hmm. Um, it tracks bees <coughs> when they're blooming, so you can get pollinators to your yard that way. That's the request I get for Nandinas. I never get a request for the uh, blush Nandina or the lemon lime or, or the, the flirt or those new yeah. ones. Yeah. Uh, but I tell you, I mean, it, and, it, and I told you all this last year. When I moved in the house that I'm in now 20-something years ago, there was a Nandina domestica compacta. So it's a compact Nandina. It doesn't get as tall as the one that you are just talking about, Betty, with the berries. On either side of the front door. I mean, it's just the weirdest place. But I kept them sheared and kept them manicured, so they look always look fine. And these are the ones that were on the west side of the house, okay? Well, of course, eventually my wife is like, these things need to go. 
And we're going to put something a little taller there by either side of the front door. And guys, I promise you, this is a true story. I mean, with a with a uh, a handsaw, a shovel, a pickaxe, uh, maybe, probably even a serrated steak knife. I mean, it took all of those for me to get that root system out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, it was in the summertime. The the soil was dry, and these roots were just massed in there. I didn't think I was ever going to get these things honestly out of the ground. I mean, it almost killed me. And I'm like, oh, now I know why these things don't die. Yeah, yeah. Somebody called them mandinas instead of nandinas. They were mandinas. But um, where they were taking some stuff out at the garden center the other day and had the axe and just going at it. And I said, I can do. I can get that out by myself. Like, yeah, sure you can. So I went and got my saws all uh, yeah, and yes. just and just cut all <laughs> yes, those ma'am. roots around. And then it came right that, out of the ground, yeah, didn't it? Right, right. It's so much easier with the sawzall for us that can't uh, use that big hatchet. Right, and I was hatch. using I was using all that kind of Everything, stuff. Yes, yeah. ma'am. But it's a challenge, and it isn't. It feels so rewarding when you actually get that out of there. Yeah, and then of course you know you don't just dig up a shrub and just throw another one back down in the same hole. You know you always want to condition the soil, mm-hmm. add some soil amendments back in there, work it in really good. Uh, plant your new plant. Um, and then, of course, anything that we plant this time of year. This summer, the first summer is always the most critical. So you better make sure that you keep adequate moisture on these plants that you're planting this spring, this first summer that we go through. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the watering. I did a, a video, an Instagram video, and the, the girl that records and helps us out with it, she <laughs> she said, okay, now, I said, okay, you know, I'm telling you, and then plant your tree and then water it well until established, and then you can cut back. And she goes, well, how, what do you mean, what, you need to explain to them, until, what does until established mean? How many mm-hmm. times do you, and I said, I thought we were doing a 30-second clip. No. I go, if you want me to explain this whole tech technology on the how to water until established, you know, that's got to be about a minute <laughs> longer. <laughs> or a small novel. Yeah, right, really a small novel. So there's all these little things to think about when watering and of course we're going to go over that too so we'll be right back the garden help you need now mid-south gardening with your hosts veda vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. You can listen to our podcast. You can download the um, app, Mighty 990, and that mm-hmm. way you can listen to us live, listen to our podcast from there. Yeah, and, and then short term, if you want to give us a shoot us a text this morning, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, there's everybody right there. Wait, I'm looking at you right now, babe. You look good. Uh, and Jim, you do too. <laughs> and if you want to give us a call. April nine, Fool's. <laughs> He's obviously not looking at me. 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. You know, it's going to be a fun day being April mm-hmm. Fool's. You know that. Oh, Get your yeah. hummingbird feeders out there back. That is so funny you said that. Last mm-hmm. Saturday I was in the yard doing some cleaning up, cutting the hydrangeas back, honestly. You know, the dead sticks. Honestly. That are dead from the tip mm-hmm. down to the ground, but the old-fashioned hydrangeas are coming back from the root. But I wanted to go ahead and get all that stuff cut back, get it out of there before my growth started coming back uh, to where I had to be real careful and selective on where I cut, mm-hmm. right, instead of just one good clean cut across the bottom of it. But she was making hummingbird food, and I'm like, 
what are you boiling that water for? She's like, I'm making hummingbird food. And I went, already? She's like, yeah. And she probably was looking at your Facebook page, Jim, or she heard somebody say they've already had a sighting of a hummingbird. Well, that's all it takes is the sighting of one hummingbird. It must have been on the Facebook, on our (coughs) Facebook page. Could be. Because I saw it. And I follow, I have another group that I follow that posts a map almost daily about uh, sightings. And I saw, we've had several in the Shelby County area here okay, in the last good. week. So wow. we're, uh, because don't they send out the little scouts first to kind of check that's things what I out? Hear. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if they find a nice place or somebody's got a lot of feeders hanging around, they usually set up shop right there. Put up two but yesterday. If they're, <laughs> if they're so competitive, would a scout come back and say where? Ah, well, gotcha. you know, it's kind of weird. If you look at um, people that live out in the country where they have, you know, 50 hummingbirds that are <clears throat> zipping around there, they're not territorial at all. You'll get five or six on the on one feeder. And they're but perfectly here in fine. the city, it you is... can't get two nope. to sit on the feeder. Nope. You know, they're very territorial. I guess because so. there's less, yeah. possibly. Yeah, because... I, I did not know that th- that could happen because usually I've been out where there's plenty of other places for hummingbirds to feed. I mean, you see videos of hummingbirds hanging, hummingbird feeders hanging out in the country and just tons and tons yeah. of hummingbirds mm-hmm. around them. And then I'm thinking, but if they're competitive, but I don't see it. So yeah, I they guess don't it lose, They don't seem to be that way when there's a, when there's a huge population. I agree. I mean, I've seen. 15 to 20 of them around one feeder before, and they were perfectly fine just taking their turns, you know. Yeah. A lot but, of animals are like that, too. <laughs> you know, I was into aquariums for a long time, and Rift Lake Chicklets, uh, real pretty fish. What'd you call me? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> from, he said he's uh, from in Africa. Uh, if you can put 20 in a tank and they get along just fine, but if you put two in there, one of them will kill the other one. You're kidding me. No. So it's, mm. it's kind of odd like that. Now, the hummingbird food, you know, this whole thing that we think we need red food dye in there. Don't need it. Don't need it at all, do mm-hmm. we? At all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we always heard that that helped attract the hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they know there's a feeder. There's enough red on the feeder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. to yeah. get them in there. And you plus. Know. And, you'll, and you'll hear the, the real hummingbird fanatics that will tell you that it, it kills hummingbirds. And, and there's actually no research to indicate that. Um, but, but there's also no it. research to indicate it doesn't. Okay, you know, uh, so it's mm. not something that you would, could really test on because they're a protected species. Because right? I know when I was younger, and my my mother would use, you know, that the the red she'd buy it already made up, mm-hmm. but it was always red, and we always heard what that helped attract the hummingbirds. But like hummingbirds aren't attracted <clears throat> to red only a red flowers. No, anything no. tubular. Yeah. There, whatever there's food, they don't care what color. Yeah, and, they're, right. and they're seeing it in in different. <laughs> frequencies you know they'll yeah. see ultraviolet that we can't see so yeah it's uh now don't, don't have nature's to be amazing yeah. yeah but like i said gina when she makes her own uh hummingbird food she does boil the water mm-hmm. and adds the sugar in there and just kind of you know works out all, all that in and then she'll put it in the refrigerator and cool it and then she'll pour it into the hummingbird feeder so I'm sure she might be listening at some point this morning, Jim. So now I've got to go home and get the hummingbird feeder and get it all cleaned out and yep. just yeah, okay. Okay, well, so <clears throat> so we're putting out a hummingbird feeder to attract hummingbirds. Sometimes it takes them a minute to find find the feeder, right? 
So maybe how long? Okay, what I'm trying to say. So I put my hummingbird feeder out. I've got the food in it, mm-hmm. and I'm not giving up. It's like four days, and there's been no hummingbirds showing up. Shouldn't I still? If there's hummingbird feeder change in the, it, change that I water change out. It? Yeah, about every three days is a good rule of thumb when we're having temperatures like we are right now. When you start getting to 90 degree days, you need mm-hmm. to change it daily. Oh yeah. lordy, right. every day? Yeah, you really do. You get bacteria growing in it, and it's really the safest thing to do. So hopefully you've got enough hummingbirds that you don't have to dump out to change it or maybe just get a smaller feeder. Or don't too. fill the thing up. Yeah, that's, well, that's you know. that too. Yeah. <laughs> no, so. did you hear me? Another feeder. Yeah, one. Don't, don't just not fill it up. Get another But they are feeder. fun to watch, I'm I telling like, you. Because they're so beautiful. I've got... You got the glass hummingbird feeders that have the flowers on it or the colorful glass, That's you right. know. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm getting this beautiful bird feeder for me or for the hummingbird because yeah. it sure looks pretty and otherwise. I, and I didn't know this also. I've got a, you know, mimosa tree in my backyard in the corner of my backyard next to the woods. And I didn't know the hummingbirds love mimosa mm-hmm. trees. I, and I don't know why to this point, but I mean, they, you can see them up there, especially when they're in bloom. Uh, and they'll, they're not even looking at that hummingbird feeder, but they're up there around the blooms on that mimosa tree. And I think that's pretty cool. Also, and that might be re- some reason or the reason that I typically get them every year. Oh, because uh, of the mimosa tree? It could be, mm-hmm. you know. But now, now my wife definitely hangs the feeder out there right by the kitchen window. And then you can sit there and just watch them, you know, fight each other all day long. But some years you get more than others. Last year, I think it was only two or three that we would see on a, on a regular basis. Where some years, you know, you see, because of the different colorations they have, you can see more than that. But it's still, I mean, if you only get one, you're still getting mm-hmm. hummingbirds, yeah, you know? know? They're still enjoyable. <clears throat> they are. It's on my patio, you know, on the third floor. There's, I think there's one that they come back every year. There's, he's like, where's my food? And I don't get it out in time. No, and they're just kind of flying and looking. And I'm like, is that the same one? Because, I mean, there's no reason not. for him to know that I'm going to have food up here later. Do they I, I come don't, back every year? I don't. I think ones? you know. I think a lot of times bluebird broods will come back to the same house year after year. But hummingbirds, I don't think they do. But I don't know that for sure. So yeah. And Wonder. what about? Um, is there any kind of a suet cake or bird food that you can put out there for hummingbirds, or is it strictly just a nectar-based, sugar-based? Just, just the nectar, and that's just a small <laughs> fraction of what they eat. The vast majority of what they're eating are insects. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, a lot of times you can get these suet cakes, Jim, that have bugs and whatever stuff in it, but mealworms, but none of that is going to really help you with a hummingbird. They eat little. Don't they eat just little, little bugs? Yeah, little tiny things, gnats and things like that. Yeah. Oh, well, good. Good to know. Right. (laughs) So, um, but still, it's fun to feed the birds, too, right now. I mean, I thought suet cakes were for suet birds. (laughs) I did for the longest. I mean, I didn't study or think about it, but I'm like, well... There's um, suet cakes. There's, there must be a suet bird. <laughs> yeah. <and laughs> but no. But yeah, start feeding your, your birds too. And um, that doesn't mean that they're not going to eat the insects in your yard. Right. Some people think if you have a bird feeder, they're going to just go strictly to the bird food and forget about all the insects oh, no. and stuff. So you're going to be kind of both. You've got the bird feeders to attract them, and then they can hang out and eat the insects while they're there. And the only thing that I would say if you are feeding your birds, especially if you're lose, using loose bird seed, mm-hmm. you can go get a 50-pound bag of wild bird seed for $2, okay? Oh. Well, every bit of that bird seed that they're scratching out of that feeder is going to germinate in the bed that's down below it. 
They're scratching it out because they don't want it. They don't like it. So these really, I'm not saying don't go get it, but I'm just saying these really, really cheap wild bird Mm -hmm. blends, not usually a smart idea. That's true because, I mean, we have them hanging around the garden center and we're using the the wild delight. That's one of them that's really good. And I don't have all that stuff going underneath. And actually, the other day, I, I was really frustrated <clears throat> because uh, someone had let the bird seed fall out on the floor. Yeah. And a um, big pile of it. And I left to go get something to clean it up. This is outside in the pavilion and came back. And it was actually a dove's pulling the bag out on the Love floor it. so they could feed the <laughs> bird it. seed on the ground. All right, let's go to a break. You're listening to KWAM 107.9 FM. You are in the Mid-South Garden. Call us 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be with us this morning. Yeah. So um, now, you know, y'all have y'all heard of forest bathing? No. And it's kind of like what we've done growing up, just hanging out in the woods all the time and just, Love it. just absorbing nature and, and being uh, mindful of it and all. And, uh, but... Us growing up, you know, we're lucky enough to live in the country and be mm-hmm. able to do that and never really thought about how people don't have the chance to do that, yeah. which is why there's a great thing for Shelby Farms and yeah. Overton Park and all of that. That's why cities try their best to have green spaces right. for people because they, they feel really good, yeah. if you will, getting out in the green spaces. Yeah. There's like in pine forests and all the oils, the way the oils mm-hmm. smell and all the essential oils. It gives that aroma off all the time, and so you're you're picking that up, you know, and so that that's kind of like forest bathing. But what's happening? Psychiatrists are actually recommending. <laughs> funny, we, the way this works out, you know, our the younger generation is really freaking mm-hmm. out about the climate change, mm-hmm. and um, and it's causing actually. There's a it's coined now in psychiatry. Um, Okay, there's nostalgia that we miss our home life, our homesickness, and this was called like solastalgia, mm-hmm. which means you're missing the life of what it used to be, mm-hmm. but now our climate's changing and we're freaking out over it and really becoming depressed over it, which I, I can see that. But the cure for that is for people to actually go out into mm-hmm. nature mm-hmm. and experience mm-hmm. and go in the woods and all that and realize understand the climate more. Yeah. I mean, I always said I had the best of both worlds. I kind of, as a young person, you know, I grew up in that environment. And then, of course, as, you know, middle-aged owned, you know, I was in the city environment. But I understand exactly what you're talking about because some of my fondest memories are, you know, whether we were, you know, riding motorcycles or whether we were on horseback or whether we were just canoeing or walking or whatever, mm-hmm. we were out in the outdoors. Right. You know, right. well, but we had have, the opportunity to, to do it every day. Yeah, exactly. We're here in the city. You don't have that. So true. Well, think about, okay, Jim and Kenneth, you know, we go to all these garden center conferences mm-hmm. and you spend days indoors learning stuff mm-hmm. and looking at product and talking mm-hmm. about people and all of that. And some of the speakers. That's how would, she said talking about people, Jim. Yeah, go talking ahead. about, did I say that? Talking <laughs> to people, I mean. <laughs> and um, the gardeners would just like, after about a day of being inside, we're busting and we're going, oh, we got to get outside. I can't mm-hmm. sit this long. I don't feel good inside. I've got to get outside and move around. I need the sunshine. I mean, the gardeners of all people were the most pent up people trying to stay 
inside for three days. And, and you said, was we, there a term for that, Veda? What, yeah, so nostalgic. So nostalgic. Yeah, wow. is that that coined by psychiatrists now? And I was reading a bunch of different things. If um, trying, you know, to say, is this a real thing? But I know it is. It really came to fruition when let's see, my son, he's like thirty six now, yeah. and he. Uh, has always been outdoors and everything, but all of a sudden he was just really conscious of the mm-hmm. climate and worried about the future of the climate and all that. And I'm thinking, this is strange yeah. thought. And then being around all his friends and then being with the younger, younger generation than mm. him, it's a big deal. They're really stressed over that and along with everything else that's going on. But the cure is get out in it. Yeah. You know, don't sit up in your house with your air conditioning, your TV <laughs> and your phone freaking out, go outside and experience Well, and I think it. most people feel that way. I mean, it, it makes me even think, you know, uh, Jim's old house. I mean, and the, what he had created over there. I mean, it was yeah. his outdoor space that he created. My sanctuary. It yeah. was your sanctuary, Jim. Now, you know, hand built, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. But even during COVID, you know, people were... A lot of people were not going to work and they were in their homes. Well, every day, and we could see this, um, they were getting outside, whether they were creating new beds, whether they were planting vegetables for the first time or Mm -hmm. whatever, they were were going outside. And I'm like you, Vade, I think it's, I didn't know there was a term for it, but I think it's it's just healthy, healthy for the soul, if nothing else, Mm -hmm. uh, to get outdoors. So I have to agree with you on that. So basically... You know, think about it. Gardeners are very important for the for the world or mm-hmm. for, for our mid south area anyway. Because look look what gardeners keep perpetuating. If there weren't gardeners, we wouldn't be cultivating and creating spaces for other people that don't get to do it. You know, I think gardeners are probably the probably one of the only groups that encourage so many more people to play with them. <laughs> Let's garden. Well, and to the point is, I mean, even look at, you know, the Memphis area master gardeners, you know, everything that they promote. It's not just them. Don't get me wrong. It's, you know, the Dixon Gallery is Memphis Botanic Gardens. Right. I mean, but but the Memphis area master gardeners, you know, at some point we'll have go, you know, go through our garden gates or walk through yeah. our garden gates. And then there's the Cooper, and then the Cooper Young garden and then walk. Kim Hayek that we had up here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, it's going to be kind of like the Cooper Young walk festival but she's trying to make it citywide and yeah, that's getting is, people yeah. out you know and, and looking at these beautiful gardens we're having so, fun in memphis yeah we are all right guys i had someone text in uh, marty uh, i'm sorry yeah marty sanders said if the bushes in our yard lose all of their leaves during the freeze which a lot of them did you know that flash freeze we had uh if the bushes lose all of their leaves and do not have any new growth, should we consider them dead? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. And that's what Jim was talking <laughs> or halfway, about. halfway, anyway. In, in the first, like, 30 minutes of the show, Jim, you're saying if you have shrubs out there now that have no leaves, and there are exceptions, because a lot of times, you know, look at the azaleas. They still have no leaves on them, but they are still very much alive. Yeah, the, the foliage is popping on most of them. Uh, I mean, it's thin, obviously. Uh, one of the downsides is because they've lost all their leaves, they don't have that foliage to feed the plant. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we say we feed plants. We really don't. We just assist them. They feed themselves. Uh, and without that, they're going to be slow to recover. And, and I think you'll benefit now by even removing some of that growth because you've got X amount of 
hormones in there to stimulate bud production. Uh, right when now, you it's say trying, it's amount, just a limited amount. That's right. It's producing, and so it's moving all through the plant. Mm. If you cut some of that off, you have still the same amount being produced going to fewer buds, and I think you'll speed up the uh, the, the, the sprouting. Uh, and some are just, you know, they may give up the ghost. They may not have enough strength. They may pop with new growth. And then when it starts to get hot, they may start to fade. But Marty yeah. says, should we consider them? I'm sorry, Veda. No, go ahead. She said, should, or he said, should we consider them dead? So that just because we're not seeing leaves on some of these evergreens or these shrubs out there at this point, we still can't assume that they're dead. Now, of course, some of them are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and time will tell. We'll know probably within a month, you know, what's going to come back and what isn't, right? Well, yeah, it's amazing on microenvironments because mm-hmm. in the greenhouse, we had our azaleas rode up, and the uh, ones that were against the wall, mm-hmm. they're <clears throat> blooming like a week and a half later than the ones that were closer to the inside. Because the inside seemed to be a little warmer, mm-hmm. obviously, and then the outside was cooler, and it was so much cooler that it delayed the bloom on the ones on the back and sure. put the ones in the middle. You can just see how it progresses up on the blooming. So just and that that just that little micro environment made such a big difference. So I think you're at the point where you ask yourself, you know, if it takes six months for this plant to right. become to look at least a little decent, right? Do I want to look at it for six exactly. months? Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's in the back of the yard and it you know, something special, then cut it back and, and, and let and give it, it time. wait. But, you know, if it's right by the front door, I'd say it's probably time to, to replace it. So, Marty, I mean, yeah, so most of the stuff out there that has absolutely no leaves on it whatsoever, like the clearas and the ligustrums and maybe some of the lorpedlums and the camellias and the gardenias and even the sweet olives, you know, those are still all in question. Uh, they could be completely dead. Uh, but... There are shrubs, like I mentioned, the azaleas that still have no leaves. They they tried to flush out, and then we had a freeze 10 days ago, and those leaves were knocked off. Uh, but they're still very, very much alive. So uh, go out there, like Jim is saying, you can cut a lot of these things back, uh, encourage new growth. You can feed them also to encourage new growth. But I'm with Jim on that point, too. Some things that uh, if it's going to take forever for them to even come back out, if they are going to come out, Jim, I'm just going to go out there and put some new ones in. Yeah. yeah, And there's so much going on today, like the Memphis mm. Farmer's Market's opening up. I think there's the Cooper Young <clears throat> Farmer's Market. <gasps> Farmer's Market. So this is the first yeah. weekend, maybe? I yeah, don't... April 1st, the vendor lineup for the Memphis Farmer's Market's happening. Oh, I see they've got some earthworm plants. I don't know what that is. Mm. Nice. <laughs> but all plants love earthworm soil. So, yeah, and um, check out y'all's local garden centers, too. Independent garden centers are getting all kinds of new fun stuff in. And uh, they've got flowers in for containers. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can definitely start doing your hanging baskets. I mean, if we get, if, if we get <laughs> a chilly night or two, you can just put your hanging baskets or your you containers know, inside. I was listening to um, Family Plot Thursday night, Rick Pudwell, the prior director from the Memphis Botanic Garden. Now, is this a new uh, one, Jim, uh, or is it there, a No, I think this was recording. an older one, yeah. But one of the things he said was, you know, go to your garden center, he said, once or twice a month, mm-hmm. every month throughout the year. If you want to have something in bloom or color, mm-hmm. do that, and that way you'll see what's available to, to have something 
year round. Right. You know, the annuals or perennials or whatever you you want. Yeah. Uh, so it's it that's a really good idea. Just you know, twice a week. Just you know, in fact, years ago I had somebody tell me this has been really years ago when Cecil's was still in business. Mm-hmm. Lady said her her day wasn't complete without going to Cecil's Bakery and then coming by Dan West. Right, I love it. Well, Well, y'all continue listening here or download the Mighty990.com app. You can watch us online or stream us or listen to our podcast. We'll be right back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM, KWAM. Sounds like the Pink Panther sneaking up on somebody. (laughs) Okay, you know, we are gardening. So, indoor gardening, you know, if you're an indoor gardener, then everything we've talked about for outdoor gardening, you're like, eh. I had it easy. I didn't have to worry about the freeze indoors. <laughs> but, um, you know, so many things are, are becoming popular again. Terrariums. I remember my mother had a big terrarium on her coffee table. It was a big, heavy, um, glass. beautiful glass yeah. jar. And I think she had, what are those those little frou-free trinkets, the... Um, I mean, they had like sedum and stuff in it, yeah, or just it was like, easy to grow. And it was before we did fairy gardens, but yeah. it was a ceramic people. Oh, okay. <laughs> stuck in there also. Yeah, stuck in there also. <laughs> they were the pretty ones, though. I'm trying to think. It, it was like some kind of, I should know this, at Antiques Roadshow. It sounds like they you know, might they'd be, a, be freaking, because I can't think of the name of it, but it was a fancy thing. And she would have those cute people in there, too. But we weren't even allowed to breathe on it. Oh, no. No, no. Don't don't put your hand in there, anything. But it was just beautiful sitting on the coffee table in the house yeah. all the time. And they don't have to be big it. either. You can yeah. see them very in all different sizes. Right. Oh, yeah. Down to the itty-bitty little mason jar up to a whole community. But doesn't a terrarium, you know, where you're growing these little plants in this glass jar mm-hmm. that's very decorative usually, and it's got a whole opening in it, doesn't it in it creating its own little micro environment to where they you can grow these house plants in there mm-hmm. easily? Yeah, there you know, there have been cases where they've had sealed terrariums, you know, that have gone twenty years without ever opening them. Oh, God. there's I know. enough enough moisture in there to keep it going, and it's creating it's got enough sunlight to continue to make food. Good lord! So, well, you back know. you know back in the time when you walked through the woods, you pulled up a bottle that had a little fern and dirt yeah. growing in it, <clears> and the <throat> the end was was plugged with mud. There's your terrarium and right it there. It was just a pretty little thing that you brought home. But it and you know you do have to be choosy about your plants if you're going to keep mm-hmm. it enclosed. Yeah, you know, one of the issues is so many of the plants we put in there, they're cute little plants, but they grow up to be big plants. <laughs> yeah, they do. You know, so it's normally a, you've got to refresh it every yeah. now and then, you know, add new stuff, take stuff out. Yeah. And, and, you I, could and have, I, to me, that's half the fun. I know, exactly. Yeah. Some people, they want it and then they don't ever want to do anything with it. So you should just have a different project if that's the case. But I have seen some good looking terrariums where they do have the, you know, the soil in there. They've got the different little plants of different sizes in there. Then a lot of times you'll even see a little bit of like green sheet moss on the uh-huh. top of the soil. To me, where it looks 
very attractive. Exactly. Jan just texted me. Oh, Jan, thank you so much. And Dale, much. hang on a second. The Hummel figurines. Uh, is that what it was? Yeah, the Hummel figurines is what I'm talking about. Thank you, Jan. Yeah, they were cute in there. So, you know, we do all, and there's the decorative rocks and the decorative sand. You can be so creative um, and just do whatever with it. But that's a fun thing to try. And then people are doing terrariums that actually they're small like terrariums but they have and they're not a fish tank mm-hmm. but they're putting mosses and, and yeah. underwater grasses in there and and creating a aquarium yeah. maybe is what they're calling it <laughs> i haven't quite gotten into understanding all that because i'm like well isn't that a fish tank yeah. but it's it's got a little different setup than a fish tank yeah I agree. it's not quite a terrarium but let's go to Dale. Good morning, Dale. Thanks for the call. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Thank you so much. Hey, Dale. I I am so worried about my Garrett 30 years old. Is eight inches. I think. Um, and 12 inches. Where you're going in and out and we're unable to uh, get your question. Um, can, yeah, he's going to put you on hold again and then see if we can, yeah. There yeah, we go. We'll I couldn't understand right. what Dale was even saying. No. I've got <clears> and I apologize, Dale. I think she was talking about a 12 or 8 inch or a 10 inch pot, but it could be something totally different. We can try it one more time. Yep. He's talking to her now, okay. getting the question. So, yeah. So we were doing terrariums and growing plants. You know, like maidenhair ferns do great in terrariums because they love the humidity. One of my all time favorite ferns, mm-hmm. maidenhairs. I mean, and they look so delicate, you're thinking, I can't even look at this yeah. thing. It's going to die before right. I get it home. They're actually tough little ferns. Uh, I mean, but you do treat them like other ferns, right, Jim? The maidenhairs? Well, you know, to me, that's about the easiest one to kill. It, I exactly, know that. Because, yeah. but, and, <laughs> that's, but, why, that's why you look at them, they're going to die. Yeah, but <laughs> there are even some maidenhairs that are perennial that you can plant outside yeah. and come back yeah. every oh, year. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the northern and the southern are both hardy here, but they require two different types of soil. So you want to make, you have to be very careful about which one you put where. Well, we'd want the southern, wouldn't we? Well, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. and it's very tolerant of mud. <laughs> yeah, and clay. Doesn't that sound soil. weird? Doesn't that sound weird? Well, yeah. bingo, there we go. Yeah. It, yeah. And so the northern just... needs more more drainage. Yeah. Um, but they're both very pretty. Very pretty. Wow, that helps a lot. Okay, Dale, let's try again. Good morning, Dale. Good morning. Um. I have a Clara japonica mm-hmm. with three trunks. They're eight inches, eight inches, and twelve inches diameter. Yeah, and it's about twenty-five feet tall, maybe tall, maybe taller. Yeah, thirty-something years old. Is there any chance for that one to be alive? Probably not. And I, and I can't tell you with a certainty, but I can tell you this: I haven't seen. <sighs> I haven't seen new growth, let me put it that way, on any cleara that was uh, frozen, you know, in the flash freeze that we had. I mean, that's one plant that I don't have a good feeling about uh, as far as coming oh as far yeah. as coming back, Dale. I'm telling you, I mean, now, like I've said to a thousand people, you know, time will tell. We'll know sooner or later. In fact, we'll probably know in a month, within a month, what's going to definitely come back and what isn't. But I'm going to tell you right now, Dale, Clearis took a beating. So I don't feel good. Now, what, like Jim was saying in the first hour, what you can potentially do is go in there and start cutting this Cleara back. Start at the top and work your way down. 
uh, in I, I can't get to the top. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or maybe <laughs> start or start halfway and work your way down. Um, uh, it's you, next to a 50 or 60-foot uh, pine tree. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I don't feel good about it, Dale. I'm telling you. Now, you can go out there with your thumb and kind of give it the old scratch test and scratch the limbs uh, or the limblets and see if you see any good green tissue up under there. And if you do, that's a good sign. But... Don't expect to see any is my point. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. So I'm thankful that my Harry Lauder's walking stick, which is next to it, about nine feet tall, mm-hmm. is, is doing well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mine is too. I love that plant, by the way. Love it. But the, I do too. the clearers did take a beating, Miss Dale. Okay. Well, thank you. You're All welcome, right, Thanks dear. for the call. That's a a really big clear. Yeah, maybe I've 12 inches in, in circumference, maybe okay. not diameter. Yeah. Well, and she was saying they're 25 feet mm-hmm. tall. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is. I wonder know, if that's I, a red-tipped Fotina. That's what I'm wondering. Because they, it, but they took a beating, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've never seen one over 10 feet or so yeah. here. Yeah, And yeah. a lot of people... See, that we ch- I started selling Cliera to replace the red tip because they were the most similar-looking yeah. plant, mm-hmm. too. So it could be that. Let's go to Jamie. Good morning, Jamie. Hello, Jamie. Good hey, Good Jamie. Morning. Good morning to you, sir. Look, just wanted to call and thank y'all for all your help and and uh, our spring fling thing. It it turned out to be a big success, and you know that's our cash cow. Yeah, it is, Jamie. Now, I'm telling you, and of course, you know this was a week ago. It started a week ago yesterday, or it was a week ago yesterday, which was Friday, and then today, Saturday, a week ago. Right. And, of course, I remember that Friday morning, the first morning, you know, we got that big, heavy rain thunderstorm that came through. And right. I had a, and I had a guy that came by the garden center, and he had just been there. And I said, man, I bet this rain just knocked everybody away. And he's like, are you crazy? That place was packed. They were out there in umbrellas and raincoats. They could have cared less about the rain. Well, that's gardeners for you. Yeah, really. It, uh, it it turned out really, really well. And of course, Saturday was a was a beautiful day for us. That's right. And we just about sold all our plants, and, and everybody was really happy about it. But that's what funds the rest of what we do mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of the year. So yeah, just want to thank y'all for your help. Well, thank and so spring fling it was a it's always a big deal every year. And to me, it's kind of like the kickoff of spring. Does that make sense, Theta? It does. You know, yeah, I mean, because I think spring is here when mm-hmm. I start hearing about spring fling. So. It goes both ways, Jamie. It's, it's good for y'all to do it to get your funds, of course, but it's also good for the public to have it going on. So it works both ways. And, of course, when it rained Friday, the first thing I thought about was Paul because <laughs> I, was, I was about, about <laughs> halfway down from where he was at, and I wanted to call and tell him, look, you've got to come up here and take care of your door. <laughs> come man the door, please. And we will never forget that. I'm talking about, you know, people huddled around the fireplace yeah. right there, the wind blowing through the red barn like a wind tunnel. And Mr. Paul oh, yeah. was always right there by the door. It was always the coldest. That's right. Uh, absolutely. But anyway, thank you all so very much. And y- y'all do a wonderful job, and we certainly appreciate you. Thank, thank you, you, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie, for Thanks, the call. Thanks, buddy, and your sweet wife, Jan. Thank thing. both of y'all. Thank you. I guess the next big Master Gardener thing, is it the tomato contest, or is there something in between that? Well, we've got Except the, for their normal you know, through our garden gates coming up. and then, yeah, well, I think that's in June. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's right. And then the and Great Tomato Contest gardeners. coming yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, good.
good. So, man, y'all, there's so much. It's exciting. I'm glad it's starting. We're going to go to a break, and then, John, if you'll hang on, we're going to take your question after the break. You've been listening to KWAM 107.9 FM and 990 AM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad y'all can join us today. Let's go to John. Good morning, John. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey, John. Good morning to you, buddy. Appreciate the call. Hey, uh, I was thinking of planting some red verbena, mm-hmm. and uh, I know it's a perennial, or I think it's a perennial, but can it also uh, grow in pots? Oh, yeah. yeah. Verbena does wonderful in pots. <laughs> yeah. Well, first first of all, John, when you talk about verbena, there are both annual verbenas and there are perennial verbenas. Uh, So they're Mm. both. So be aware, if you want perennial, you got to make sure that you get the perennial Uh, because there are annual verbenas out there also in red also. So, yeah. So is it available now, either one? It is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. I think I've just got purple right now. But. I know I've got purple and, and mm-hmm. could have some red also. But check with, uh, you know, the independent garden centers. Uh, but because bedding plants, even though we know it's a little early, potentially, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of bedding plants. We probably got in five trucks this week. So, yeah, John, check around and see if you can find that red verbena. Yes, sir. Is the annual prettier? Uh, well, there's there so many different varieties of verbena now. Yeah. That um, okay. some of it's got the really thin, some's got the really big, the big ones. I notice, I know that I have less good results if you're buying it in six packs. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's not mm-hmm. the hardier one. So if you're getting like in a four inch mm-hmm. container, a That's proven right. winner. Or four inch pot. Yeah, yes, four inch pot. You can get some, some sturdier variety. And I really. Think, you, know, John, you want to watch the proven winners, the the ones that are called super bina. Those are annuals. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. and like John heavy said, bloomers. now, and I like the annual honestly because they're going to bloom every day now till this frost, this fall when we get the first frost. I mean, they bloom their heads off, John. Um, okay. So you know, so That's what, what if we got to plant a little bit of verbena every year? And I, I could have promised you I saw some red verbena yesterday. So, yeah, definitely right. check it out. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, can I make a couple other comments? Yeah. Are you in a hurry? No, oh, no, no. Go, go ahead, ahead, sir. Yeah, I'm putting out my first hummingbird feeder in a little while. I've seen on uh, eBird that, that there's a few around. So I want to remind everybody who does that that this is a good day to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, uh, when you buy tomato plants, uh, we used to talk about hardening them off, which meant you know putting them out in the sun and wind a few hours at a time right. until they got sturdier is that still a thing or do you really need to do that well it i like i like to uh, set them out where they get some 45 degree nights or so and it'll turn that stem dark red mm-hmm. um but remember you're going to plant most of that under the ground anyway uh but you'll yeah. have a stockier sturdier plant if you will kind of uh, harden it off and, and let it get get some chilly nights on it okay all righty. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Hey, thank thank you. you. Thanks for the call, John. Thanks, John. Have a great weekend, buddy. In- Endurascape was what I was trying to think of, the red verbena that's very hardy. There's also a homestead red. There is a homestead red, which yeah. is a perennial. You're yes. right. And, and so is Endurascape. Mm-hmm. It's, it is. But mm-hmm. the super venas, uh, those, are, those are annuals. Yeah. yeah. And um, I like those because their foliage is real robust also. Mm-hmm. 
and I like them because they bloom from day one until, mm-hmm. like I said, till they die this this winter, this coming winter. Yeah. Well, let's go to Marianne. Good morning, Marianne. You're in the Mid South Garden. Hello. I have a question about uh, some boxwoods. They've been in the ground about four years. Yeah. And four of them, and they reacted differently to it. Mm. One doesn't look like any damage. One looks like uh, it's probably dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, one has the center part of it that looks like it's going to die, but mm. everything's okay. So I was wondering, do you cut boxwood back will they come back if you do golly marianne i mean you're so right we've seen such a mixed bag when it comes to boxwoods and depending on the variety and depending on the exposure that it had you know we're seeing some damage on some no damage on some and then a lot of damage on some so you're right i mean if you like jim was saying earlier invaded was saying if you know something is dead or if you know that's dead tissue then of course you can cut it out but if you're not sure if it's dead or not, then it doesn't hurt to wait, and we'll know, I think, within a month, okay, whether it's dead tissue mm-hmm. or not. Now, one thing you can do, Marianne, is go out there, and, you know, we've said this a thousand times, is get the old thumbnail and give it the scratch test. Scratch those stems and see if you see any good green tissue in there. And if you do see good green tissue, then it does have a chance of flushing back out. If you don't see green tissue in there, then it's probably not going to flush back out in those areas that are bare or brown. So, yes, you can cut out the dead tissue, even if you're not sure you can cut it out. But I would still try to make sure if I knew whether it was dead tissue or not before I went in there and really started hacking back on these boxwoods. If um, that one that's uh, dead in the center or Mm -hmm. appears to be dead in the center after established that it is dead yeah will it come back in that center or will i just have a hole in the center of the plant no it should fill back out in there um and and as it begins to sprout what you want to do is let the twit let the little sprouts get up with about three or four sets of leaves and then pinch the tip out of it that way it'll encourage it to fill back up and fill that area Otherwise, it's going to want to grow up there with the rest of them, and you may end up with it still a hole in the center. A thinner-looking yeah, branch. One yeah. straight branch instead right. of branching. So you're going to want to pinch those as they sprout in there. And cutting back some beside it will also encourage it to, to sprout and fill that area up. And I have on occasions had to just take uh, twist ties and mm-hmm. pull them together. Mm-hmm. To hide you know, that, to that hide cavity that hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, right. thanks a million. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, thanks for calling for this morning. Thanks, Mary, and have a great weekend, dear. And I tell you, I mean, she is she hit it right on the nail. Boxwood, y'all. I mean, I've seen, I mean, like she just said, some that are absolutely fine, some that have just a little damage on the side or the top, and then some that have this, like, mosaic dead-looking <laughs> pattern in it, and then some that look completely dead. Yeah, somebody sent me some pictures of boxwoods in front of their house that look totally dead. And but a couple of years ago, they were struggling already, mm-hmm. and I had recommended you, you know, probably go ahead and just take them out. Let's redo, redo everything. But she wanted to just let them try, mm-hmm. you know. And since they had been mm-hmm. struggling for a couple of years, then this was too much for them. So the whole front rows are dead, but they're yellow looking, and 
So I'm thinking that's just too much to recover for yeah. a box. Yeah, and, and and then certain varieties, you know, I've got there again wintergreen uh, growing around a bay window in my back that that were there when I moved in the house, and I can you know I, I do see a little damage on them, but they're I know they're going to be fine. But man, all over town, some of the Justin Browers and some of the other you know dwarfs and slow growing boxwoods. Uh, they just look like they're completely dead. In fact, I think they are completely mm-hmm. dead. So that's what I meant when I said it depends on the variety and depends on the exposure. Uh, and I hate it, but like in her case, y'all, if you cut that tissue out of there, then you have a decision to make. Hey, is this boxwood worth keeping? You know, after I've cut all this dead out, mm-hmm. do I give it time to flush back or do I just dig that thing up and replace it with a brand right. new one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's know? what I'm thinking. I'm going, I'm liking. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to narrow down the varieties of boxwoods for me that I, that I want to carry or deal with because there's so many varieties, oh. and but there's so many styles of boxwoods that fit different things. But I'm going like, you know, if you just kind of want a tall upright, then you could do Green Tower. Or Green Mountain, Green Tower, yeah. because D-Runk took a beating. Right. Yes. And then if you want to have something that's kind of tall and comes to a point, then I would do D-Runk. If I wanted something that was a little shorter than D-Runk, but wider, but still Christmas tree, I would go with Green Mountain. Mm -hmm. And then there's a few others that we can go over when we get back because there's the next gen varieties Mm -hmm. and all. Okay, y'all, just hang on a second. We've got another hour to go, so get your questions together and we'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. You're listening to us on KWAM 107.9 FM, 990 AM, the mighty 990. Yeah, and Veda, girl, you're with Palladios right there on Central. Yep. Um, Beautiful stuff in there, no doubt about it. We're I mean, all under the green roof now. Yeah, that's yeah across they, the that's street. That's how they're saying it. Because when when you look out and you're like, what 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 door do I go in? Yeah. Oh, it's the door with the green roof. Just remember that <laughs> you'll make your way in there perfectly fine. But you go into through the green roof, but then you go outside yeah. in the courtyard. So we've got outside plants out there, but, which is great. Yeah, and then I'm at Dan West Garden Center, which right everything's th- pouring out in the. Out in the it street because you're right there. Yeah, you'll have it on the sidewalk before long. Mm-hmm. People can't even get through there. Yeah. At Dan West on Poplar and Mr. Jim? I'm usually in the garden or in my recliner, usually more of the latter. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, this week I did repot all of the water plants, did I separated all the lotus and mm, did that. So. He does a lot of work. He's, yeah. you know. So and that, then you're also the administrator of some pretty cool Facebook. Yeah, our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. And we have, uh, we're getting bunches and bunches of new members. Uh, and got some really cool pictures this week. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a it's a good group. There's no drama. Nobody's going to try to convince mm-hmm. you to go all organic or you know plant all native. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, so we're going. It's uh, there's no advertising, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, so it's it's really a good group. We got in the file section is one of the most important things because there's lots of good information mm-hmm. there on varieties of fruits and vegetables and uh, and t- like tomatoes and and uh, poisonous plants mm-hmm. and uh, plants for wet areas. Plants that might be deer resistant, you know, and plants yeah, that we have, hummingbirds we have like. Lots and, of good stuff. So. Yeah, it really is. 
They, they did. You were talking um, about boxwoods a while ago. Yeah, and, yeah. We, you know, and and yes, I mean, there's so many hybrid boxwoods on the market now that it will make your head spin, honestly. Uh, and some of the old tough, just really tough boxwoods are, you know, I mentioned, you know, green, uh, wintergreen. And then there's mm-hmm. Winter Star, and then there's Green Jim, and then there's Baby Jim, uh, and then you know, and the, there's Baby Jade. Yeah, Baby I mean, Jade's the, Baby another Jade. One you're that right. I'm and then you were talking about the ones that grow more upright, the D Runks, the Green Mountain, and the Green Towers. They're all great looking boxwoods, and you know, the only thing that I when I'm looking at a boxwood, I'm trying to buy the boxwood that's going to fit the spot. Uh, Emerald Knoll, for example, it's a beautiful dwarf box, but only gets about two foot tall, but it gets three foot wide. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it only gets two foot tall, which that would definitely fit in a lot of these places, depending on where you want to put them. You know, a good parterre. Yes. That's kind of high for, well, no, that's a good parterre. Exactly. So, you know, when you, when you are shopping boxwoods, like I said, you know, make sure that you're, you you get the boxwood that's going to fit. The spot. Well, this is what I hear a lot. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm planting them all in a row, and we're going to hedge them anyway. Yeah, well, and we hear that a lot. <laughs> I know, and I'm like, well, but we're mm-hmm. we're starting to get out of doing that and actually looking for plants that will fit the spot more. Yeah, and uh, the winter green. That's that's just a good hardy. That's just your tough old yeah. standby. You know, that's the plant anywhere sunshade yeah. just does great. And, and and to me, the baby gem, uh, it looks kind of like a winter green, a smaller leaf little more delicate looking, but it's a tough little boxwood also. Yeah. In fact, most of these hybrids are, are pretty dang tough. And I'm like, I like the baby jade for containers um, because it doesn't get huge. That's right. Like a, a lot of people <clears throat> like to have a straight <clears throat> box type container mm-hmm. and then just put just boxwoods in it. Just mm-hmm. a nice green, clean, easy look. And the baby jade, you don't have to go and prune. I had a client that had a lot of containers with boxwoods in them, but they weren't the baby boxwoods. So mm-hmm. we were always trying to keep them in, in shape. Mm-hmm. But if you were able to start with one that doesn't get huge or grow as fast, then, you know, that cuts back on your maintenance time. Yeah. And, and you know, and there are some certain things that we need. I mean, you know, a lot of these hybrids want more sun than shade, believe it or not. You know, unlike the old American boxwood that we grew up with that you see grown in a more shaded environment or high shade. That's where you do want to get a boxwood like the English or the American, really the American boxwood. But if you've got really sunny areas, these hybrids and people, you know, it's it's hard to think that, hold on, boxwoods can really grow in full blazing sun? Absolutely they can. That's really a lot of these prefer to be. Right, right. And and good drainage. And, yeah, we know that we saw some damage on them this year uh, with the flash freeze that we had. But, I mean, come on, let's be real. How often is this going to happen? So right. is there one that you want to absolutely stay away from? There's got to be at least. Absolutely stay away from? Yeah. Mm, I, can't I mean, I know the answer is yes. And tell yeah. me yeah, and the answer is like yes. You know, the one that we call that's most often sold is an English boxwood, God, which look, is Buxus sofruticosa. Because you can't mm-hmm. grow them around here anyway. They get mm-hmm. something called boxwood decline in our heavy clay soil. So, uh, you know, you can put them in and, I mean, it's the one that you see in England that is, you know, like uh, uh, 12 inches tall and <laughs> absolutely perfect <laughs> yeah. when it's sheared, uh, but it just will not grow here. And that is a true English boxwood because a lot of times when people say, I've got an English boxwood, 
Usually they're talking about an American boxwood. Yeah, there's a variety that is actually um, Buxus superviris inglis, I-N-G-L-I-S, and that's what often is called an English boxwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> keep that in mind, no yeah, doubt. I know. Now our minds are like, oh, that just hurt my head. Yeah. <laughs> but There but, are so many different ways and kinds. That's why another reason you need that is helpful going to independent garden centers because usually – uh, people that are ordering and all are familiar with plants and trying to find if the you ones. You can't find it there. There's probably a good reason. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, right. it probably doesn't want to grow around here. But the you know, boxwoods in general, they're very shallow rooted, so they need good drainage. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start there, which most things do. They want a pH that's jacked up, that's up a little bit. You know, I always like to put a little bit of lime around the boxwoods every year, or at least every other year, to keep the pH up. Uh, when you're when you're mulching boxwoods, kind of like with azaleas that are shallow rooted. You don't need six inches of mulch on top of these boxwood roots. Same thing with Japanese maples. It's it's more detrimental than it is beneficial. A light layer of mulch that looks good, that does all the right things, that holds the moisture in, helps suppress weeds, but a light layer of mulch. And then going out there this time of year and feeding these things with a good non-burning fertilizer. Those are all just your general care knowledge when it comes to boxwoods. Once a year... In the spring, open the boxwood up, stick your blower down in there, and get everything out of the crotch of that plant. There are a number of diseases that can occur when you have that decomposing boxwood foliage that's in the crotch there, so you want to get that out. And then some of these, and we've all heard, which we don't hope and pray that it doesn't become a problem here at Baden, is the boxwood blight. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it was really a big scare because there were two or three cases that, that were here in Shelby County. And then some of these, like you mentioned, the new gen boxwoods, yeah. uh, they're not going to be quite as susceptible to this boxwood blight, if we do ever have a problem with it, than some of the other boxwoods. So I like the, the look of the new gen boxwoods, too. They look like a boxwood. They look beautiful. There's one they called look- Independence, and there's another mm-hmm. one called Freedom, and they're very, very similar. Yeah. But if you look at them really close, Veda, I still like my personal humble opinion. I like the look of the freedom, mm-hmm. even a little better than the independence, because it's, it's it looks more like a rounded boxwood than more of the upright kind of rounded. Yeah. I mean, they're very similar, though. Right. I know. Things are so similar, but just enough to, just matter, enough. to matter in the design. But the know? new gen boxwoods are, uh, they are hybrid boxwoods, and they are absolutely beautiful, and they're supposed to be more of the boxwood blight resistant in case that ever does become a problem here in the Mid-South, right. and let's hope it doesn't. Well, one thing to do, too, would be thinning your boxwoods if, if they're really tight and thick together where you can't even hardly open the insides then you can take a whole big chunk out. You really can. You take that big piece out um, and then fluff it back up, and you can't even tell it's gone because they're so thick, you almost have two boxwoods in one. It looks like I've pruned one boxwood out before they get so thick. Veda, that is so true. If I ever actually had a boxwood connoisseur come look at these wintergreen boxwoods in my backyard, they would probably run out of the backyard screaming <laughs> because they mine are sheared like a big beach ball. You could lay an anvil on top of them, and it would <laughs> it hold would it up. Fall. And, yeah, and because that's the look that I want. Are they wintergreen? They're wintergreen. Yeah, so, but so they don't, they're not as picky. That's right. Yeah. But true boxwoods, you can see that kind of cloud mm-hmm. pruning that people do, and that's what they really love. They don't like this nice, neat, sheared, 
you know, mm-hmm. beach ball look, even though most, a lot of the hybrids, you can do that too. I'm talking about the old fashioned American boxwood. You can even do that to them, but you're right. I think boxwood pruning is an art and I don't have it. <laughs> well, y'all, we're going to go to a break. I've got to give us a call. We've got 45 minutes left. The number is 901-260-5926. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926, or you can post your questions on Facebook Live. Just text them there, and we'll get your questions. Other shrubs, I know we're always talking about the main southern shrubs, the magnolias, the hostas, the boxwoods, and all of that. Heck yeah. Yeah, you got to have those. But we were also talking about the dutzia. I love the dutzia, and I like the ones that, stay low uh, for smaller compacted areas Uh, i've seen them in full sun part shade but Mm -hmm. uh there's some that are bloom fixing to bloom now beautiful white blooms little white blooms all over this shrub and then there's one that's got the pink blooms that one's gorgeous and then jim didn't you say you planted a tall one you have one called pinkaboo that gets huge it sounds Uh, like it should be small it, it should I'm guessing, you know, if I had let it go, go it would have been 15 feet across wow. uh, and 10 feet tall. Crazy. Uh, oh, but wow. it overtook the bed, so I ultimately had to had to take yeah. it out. Now, are those evergreens or no, deciduous? Not. No, it's yeah. deciduous, but it had beautiful pink blooms on it. It's just gorgeous when it was in bloom. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not a, to be a mainstay plant in, in my garden. It didn't have color long enough for me, so... And, and the size was just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I took it out. Yeah. And like these, the, the little, little uh, dutzias, they they don't have long bloom period either. No. But it, they're still nice and enjoyable, well, you know. A lot of shrubs that bloom don't, yeah. you know. The spring blooming shrubs don't have terribly long period. Uh, but they're a nice addition early in the garden, yeah. you know. And yeah. things like Nico, they're so small, they don't mm-hmm. take up much space. That's exactly right. You know, so you can, you can even the smallest garden, you can work those in. And then off air, Jenny, uh, uh, Veda, you mentioned uh, mock orange. Yeah. And, and that's another shrub, blooming shrub, that is one of my all-time favorites. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, we, we don't talk about it a lot. And people, a lot of people don't even really know what they are. But that's another one that people need to check into because there are different varieties, different sizes. But, man, if you're looking for some beautiful blooms in the spring, yeah. you can't go wrong with mock oh. orange either. How mm-hmm. about the Fothigaria? Is that the, yeah, the Mount Aries? It's got the white uh, fuzzy blooms on them right now. No foliage, but just white fuzzy blooms. So it, it gives you some garden interest, too, because things don't have to bloom the entire time. I and mean, we were not in Florida or California so we can get our blooming from even things that only bloom like a month or some mm-hmm. are only two weeks. And those also give you really beautiful fall color. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They do. You so, know. so look for some different things like Fothigaria, Dutzia, Mock Orange. And then even a lot of the Spireas. I mean, yeah, and I know we all yeah. grew up with Spireas, you know, but the ones that bloom white, like the, the bridal wreath varieties, you know, the Van Hooties and all those, I mean, they and they're tough as everything, first of all. But um, once you get them, you know, matured uh, after two or three years of being in the ground, I mean, beautiful blooms all over them. So, and that, and that's just another plant, it seems like, that we kind of forget about because when they're not blooming, it's yeah. just another one of those shrubs that we walk by and never mm-hmm. 
ever give it a second look, right. you know. But they're still providing good for the uh, for the garden. They're still, you know, providing good just because we're not enjoying the blooms the whole summer doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not doing its thing. And their foliage is nice, too. And, you know, I always come to saying, you know, I like the movement in the yard. And uh, in terms of the plants moving, like the ornamental grasses, mm-hmm. you know, blowing the breeze and uh, the spirea do. And, and I'm saying like opposed to hollies that are just there. Mm-hmm. Rigid. They're great yeah. and they need to be there, but they're just there. They, they're good places for birds to live and, and hide and all. Good anchors, but I still like to have the the softness and the free See, flow. there's prejudice even in gardening. Yeah, there is. Isn't See that? There? Yeah, oh, yeah. They're just there. You know, and another <laughs> thing that we really haven't talked about at all that really took a beating this winter also uh, were the butterfly bushes, you yeah, know. Right. And and I know to me that's not truly a shrub. It's, it's, it's To me, it's almost like a, a perennial, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but for people that had butterfly bushes out there, you know, whether it's the dwarfs or the tall ones and all the different colors they come in, um, they are good space eaters also. I mean, if you've got a corner uh, and you want to just put something there that has a lot of bloom, it blooms a lot, mostly through the summer. I mean, don't forget about the old-fashioned butterfly bushes. You know? now, there, now there's the pugster that's a little smaller, and then you mm-hmm. can get them big. You can prune all the bottom out and make it like tree form at top. Uh, beauty berries are another one that we don't think of a lot until you see the berries. But beauty berries are pretty one to plant now. Yeah, but and, and that to me, you're right. I mean, when I'm thinking of really attractive plants, you know, I'm thinking about plants that bloom. Mm-hmm. Well, just then you mentioned beauty berry. That's a really attractive plant, not because of the bloom or the plant itself, but it, of the berries that you get on it in the fall. Right. Right? Yeah. Kind of like the winter berries. Yeah. Plants, too. You know, you so, know. So, yeah, there's so many reasons to get different things than, than hollies. I do. That was one thing I did remember too about when traveling and or moved away from Memphis and reflecting back to how it looked. One of my favorite landscapes were they had the two foster hollies on each corner of the house. Oh yeah. Then it had the boxwoods that ran down the front of the house, and then it had red salvia planted in front of the boxwoods, and then it had the liriope in front of the red salvia. Sounds beautiful to me. And I always remembered <clears throat> that landscape, but it, it's so it's almost like a formal look and it's always going to look like that except for the red salvia that goes away in the winter and all but now i see so much more variation in textures and colors and heights and all so but you know you still have your traditional landscape which a lot of times isn't so bad in the front because well, it's just there and again. people would come <laughs> in with a with a blank palette They'll, whether it's a new house they just moved into everything got pulled up or for whatever reason you know they're they're starting over. And we always say, well, you got to get your bones in first. And your bones are your shrubs that you, your foundation mm-hmm. plants, if you will. And like you said, Veda, it, it's so funny how, and, and there's, look, first of all, there's no wrong way, okay? It's whatever you like. But the first one that you mentioned about the hollies on the end, mm-hmm. in this case, the foster hollies that you're trimming on every other day. Yeah. And then your green bones are your shrubs in front of your, your house and then something by the front door. That's typically how mm-hmm. people start their landscape. Right. I would say we need to bring our beds off the houses a little bit more. You know, some I've seen it's just been such a standard of your beds three feet wide. I get it. And then when you get to the end, you can curve it out to where it's like about five Curving feet. around the corner yeah, of the house. Right. You know? And it all looks great. 
But I, I'm saying we can make our beds a little bigger. They don't have to. Because, I mean, really, mm-hmm. there's that three-foot wide bed, and then there's mm-hmm. three shrubs yeah. planted. Like there's one in the back, one in the middle, and one in the front. So you've got three shrubs in a three-foot bed. Each shrub can get four feet wide. So then you're pruning and pruning. They're growing over the top and, of each other. Yeah, they are. And then the other thing is you see these straight line beds, okay? And, and and sometimes you have to do that because a lot of times you have a walkway that's in front of one of the beds in the front of the house. But even if you have that on one side, that doesn't mean that you can't have nice curves. You know what I'm saying as far as the border on the other side. I just think it, it landscaping to me looks so much more natural and realistic and to me personally better if you don't have nothing but straight lines, Jim, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the whole point, really, uh, of landscaping around a house was to soften the straight edges of everything. Thank you. And, you know, if you're just magnifying that by putting, you know, straight lines of things in. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. But, you know, beauty isn't in the eye of the owner. That's right. So, you know, if that's, if that's what you want to do. You know, I'm not into trimming shrubs like Kenneth is. I don't want round beach balls. Um, <laughs> I want each plant to grow as it would naturally. Um, and so, you know, if people walk through my garden, it's it's more of a botanical garden. Right. And it is, uh, you know. A, a manicured, yeah. you know, it's shaped not, garden that that I created, yeah. right? I call it a nurseryman's garden because, you know, they're, we experiment with things and see how they do. And, and if they don't, then we try something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, isn't that the thing? You go to your family or your friends and you walk through the garden, talk and look and enjoy it. And if you don't have all these different things, it's a quick walk. Well, <laughs> it always makes me think of what y'all two say, too. You know, somebody always has this backyard fence, okay? There's nothing on it, wooden fence. And they go in there and they'll buy 30 of something and have that thing just against the fence in a straight line. Everyone, I'm exactly the same plant. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying there's many other ways to do that, you know? Right. And, and Veda, you always say, you know, and Jim, you know, get something different and make a little cluster here. And then come down a little bit and make another cluster here. And, uh, yeah. you know, you don't have to use the exact same plant or shrub whether it's Ely Agnes or whatever, going down the whole yeah. length of the back fence. Right. It is easy, though, isn't it? Oh, it is easy. <laughs> and I'm not saying it doesn't look bad. It looks fine. It looks better no. than just a fence back no. there, but there are many other ways to do it. I know. It's, it, it, you really can't pick one look over the other because everything <clears throat> is good. And for me, the reason why I like to landscape in so many different plants in one yard is all about the diversity and collecting different types of critters and insects Mm -hmm. and sounds and looks. But that's my that's what I'm going for. Mm -hmm. But you look at big estates, they have both in in their Mm -hmm. landscapes. They've got the bones, you know, the hedges, the big trees, but then they've got areas that are wildlife, what have you. Oh, another break. So y'all hang on. We'll be right back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 and 1079 FM KWAM.
Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Kenneth said we had some texture questions. Yeah, well, first comments. of all, we had Bobby Barnes, who we love to call Bobby Bonide. Hey, Bobby Bonide. But what Bobby was that? Barnes, Captain Jack's yes, Deadbug Brew. But Bobby was uh, instrumental in introducing a lot of the Bonide products that are here in Shelby County. Uh, and he works for Bonide Corporation. And Bonide has great products. You know, whether Bonide or Bonide? Bonide, Bonide. <laughs> Uh, but we always called Bobby Barnes, Bobby Bonide. And remember, we would get him in on the show from time to time. So, Bobby, uh, I know you're watching. At some point, we got to get him in the studio uh, to talk about the great Bonide products. But also, we had uh, Nick. He uh, sent us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and he said, I lost a good portion of plants. I also lost five out of eight rose bushes. And I tell you, that's one thing we hadn't talked about a lot, but a lot of people did lose roses also. And Nick, in this case, lost uh, five out of eight. Also lost two giant rosemary plants. Well, we we have definitely talked yeah. about the rosemary. So he said, I've been in a replanting mode for the last 10 days. Who hasn't? You're exactly right. And thank you, Nick, for the text. But golly, I mean, this this year, it, it, I mean, all we've talked about is is what people have lost mm-hmm. or what, you know, what we think they have lost. I know. You know, I was just looking at pictures my aunt had uh, sent of someone's uh, Covington got hit by a tornado. I think y'all were talking about it. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so she was sending pictures of a lot of places that had gotten hit. And it's like looking at the pictures, you see the cherry trees are mm-hmm. blooming, the Japanese maples, mm-hmm. they, the landscapes look good, and then the houses are gone. Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess on some of us that are worried about our our shrubs that aren't doing so well, at least we have our house. But the thing is, is just looking through this devastation, you see, see nature still in its glory. Well, but like Nick just said, I mean, you know, it, for example, roses. And that's, you know, I was talking to uh, Tammy Manderson. She's a young lady that takes care of a lot of people's roses here in Shelby County. Uh, and she's probably got like 30 different accounts, for example. And I said, Tammy, I said, how bad is it when it comes to people's roses? And it's not horrible, but... She said, I'm going to have to replace about 200, okay? And that's out of like 30 different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, properties. And, I'm, you know, so, yes, we did see some damage um, and some death on roses. But overall, you know, I think they made it through it yeah. pretty good. But, Jim and Veda, I was talking to a young lady yesterday, uh, sweet lady, and she's always had roses. Now, in this case, this was a climbing rose, okay? And it looks dead from the top. To the bottom, but she made the comment that I'm getting growth coming back from the ground. Well, we all know what that potentially means. You know, when you first see that, you're like, oh, okay, I've got new growth coming up. Well, not so fast because with a most of these climbing roses or roses in general, they've been grafted. Okay, you've got the graft that's been, I mean, the rose that's been grafted to a root stock. Well, all this new growth that she's seeing is coming back from the root stock. So that means that whenever it blooms, it's not going to be the same rose that it was. It's going to be the bloom mm-hmm. that's coming off whatever the rootstock is. So right, she's, yeah. she was scratching her head yesterday like she said, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. Uh-huh. It's usually just this little nondescript little red yeah. bloom. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably what it's going to be, you know. So, so if you're looking at your rose, you've got a knot basically at the ground. And if something's coming from the knot or below the knot, it's, it's usually not coming from the root what stock. the rose is going to be. That's right. <laughs> so keep that in mind. So she was excited at first that she was seeing new growth, and I get it. You know, we all are. 
But in this case, especially on plants that have been grafted, they're grafted onto the root. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what this rootstock is. We have no idea. And it's usually some little indescript little... Multiflora rose. Yeah, exactly, Jim, Mm -hmm. that you probably don't want as you're climbing rose. What are the rootstock on most (coughs) of our roses? Most of them are multifloras. They're uh, the same thing that, you know, we've talked about how they used them as a uh, a green fence many, many years ago Mm -hmm. until uh, the virus rosette came along and wiped them out. Thank Mm -hmm. heavens. Uh, Thank heavens. But we still use the rootstock (laughs) because it's so proliferous. Right. Most of the good roses... <clears throat> don't produce a, a very hardy rootstock. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there are a lot more plants now being grown on their own roots. Right. Uh, all of my, I've got uh, miniature roses only in a, in a con- long And I'm sure none of those are grafted, later. are they? None of these are. They're yeah. on, and I lost one out of them, the lavender, which, uh, you know, mm-hmm. my lavender is always the weakest yeah. rose. Yeah. Uh, but all the rest of them uh, sprouted from the ground, and they're up 12 inches tall now with buds on them. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, they're about ready to bloom. Yeah, uh, they are. The, our roses that we have in, in stock are starting to just barely open up. And they sat outside when we had the 25 degree and they didn't care. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what about, what about the rosemary that Nick was talking about? Because we hear all over town, you know, that people have had rosemary for 25 years on the south side of their house, next to the brick wall, really insulated in a protected area, and they still lost it this year. Yeah. And then we hear, oh, well, you didn't have <laughs> Salem rosemary or you didn't have Arp rosemary. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Of course not. And yeah. and I think now those two in particular are more winter hardy than maybe some of the other varieties. But there's so many varieties out there now that that are more or less winter hardy. And most of these rosemaries, wouldn't you say, typically on a typical winter, make it through the winter just fine. As long as your drainage is good, yes. Yeah. You know, what kills them is poor winter drainage and they stay wet. Mm-hmm. So that'll do them in. Or, or or minus three degrees, right? Well, yeah. You know, like I say, when it's been 72 days prior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and um, doing your plantings this year, make sure you get compost mixed in. I have a lot of, I still ask a lot of people that come in and buy shrubs <clears> if they need compost to go with their plant. And new new beginners don't know they do need compost. Mm-hmm. And you just need to refresh in your soil some, you know, whether it's the kind that you've got at home that you've been making, or if um, you've got just some good plots of dirt in your landscape, like extra areas, you can go scavenge dirt, something to mix with that clay soil. Mm-hmm. But there's great composts out there. Um, and I'm using compost instead of naming each exact variety. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you can look at the, uh, the back to nature's, the earth mix. The Fox Farm. Mm-hmm. Those are three, like, some of the main ones. Am I missing one? Well, no. And then, you know, you, earthworm castings, you know, yeah. that's a wonderful compost. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. And then the Cottonburg compost yeah. that you're talking about, the Cottonburg blend, mm-hmm. beta, uh, I mean, the earth mix. I mean, all those are, and, and then, of course, there's manures out there. Yeah. I mean, they're all good. That's why we always say there's no such thing as, not, I mean, a bad compost. Mm-hmm. If you've got stuff that is compost, I don't care if it's ground up leaves. Uh, it is so wonderful for your soil. And we, know, we need to always be adding, especially when we're replanting new material, yeah. adding some compost in there and also some things that are good for drainage. Right. 
Well, you know, and compost can can vary so much. You could get like a a low cost, just general compost, which will amend your soil, but it doesn't contain all the nutrients. Then you can like upgrade to other varieties of compost, but they have like alfalfa meal and mm-hmm. feather meal and mm-hmm. humic acid, mm-hmm. uh, manures, things like that mixed in too. So you actually get it all in one instead of having to buy all the different products and creating your own. Yeah. And, you know, and it took me forever until Jim explained it to me that clay soil is not particularly that bad. And I'm no, like, you know, good. I was like, what do you, hold on, you got to explain that to me. And he did. You know, clay soils, they, they hold nutrients a lot better than other types of soils. They actually hold some moisture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you can create good drainage and you've got the clay, you've got the, really some of the best soil there is to plant in. Now, it, the problem that we run into is people have clay soil. We all know it, right? Shelby County is nothing but clay soil unless you get down by the river. And if you don't create good drainage when you're planting trees, shrubs, annuals, or perennials, then you're going to have a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then also landscaping doesn't only pertain to the live things. What do you you mean by that? Like landscaping, you can put statuary, gazing balls. Um, stepping stones, water features like fountains, even your outdoor furniture, you know, and some outdoor furniture out there can be an investment, you know, especially if you're going to have it for a a long, long time. I know some people that's got outdoor furniture that that's come from their grandparents, you know, so uh, and then and containers, big concrete containers. I've got some that was from my memo. And, and remember know, so when the, was it the bottle tree that was the big thing yeah. years ago? What was it? Mm-hmm. Was it a bottle tree? Yeah, a bottle tree. Where they yeah. had these things out there that was made out of ornate iron, mm-hmm. really, and they stuck it wherever in a bed, yeah. and then they had wine bottles stuck all over it. Now, I never liked them. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But I've seen them in people's mm-hmm. landscapes, and I'm not, you know, they look okay, but it's not just something I would do, but it's also... Another form it's of your, art. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, another form of art. Yeah, and I, I've got a, a little bottle tree, tiny, like goes in a container, and it has little blue bottles on it. And it's so precious, but it was from a friend's yard that passed away. I could go with something so, smaller you know, scale, I can, yeah. I, I always want to uh, keep that. So things that, that you don't have to water and feed and fertilize um, are good to start making. I mean, yeah, you can make a whole outdoor space based on that if you're just looking at your blank yard. And just look and go, okay, this will be my sitting area or my patio area. Mm-hmm. So I'll have some things that smell good there and that all for shade. Over here, I can have uh, my bird bath, my birding area. <laughs> I can put over here some water garden. You know, so, so that might help you break it down too. And, and real quick, I know we got to go to a break. Jim, in your, at your old house where mm-hmm. you had this beautiful landscape, and I remember you had this, you know, 30 or 40 foot koi pond that you had back mm-hmm. there, and it was absolutely all handmade, beautiful. Like Veda's point, you know, did you ever have any, what is it, Veda, is it hardscapes out there? Or is yeah, it, I mean, is it hardscapes? Yeah. I mean, did you have these like obelisk out there in the landscape? No, or? I have some statues, you know, that mm-hmm. years ago I bought from uh, Dan West on Poplar, a statue of three little children when I had three little children. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I still have that. So we've had that for, you know, 40 years or so, 45 mm-hmm. years. Uh, so it's kind of precious, you know, and it's going to come to our new place. 
And, you know, I'm kind of a turtle fanatic, too. Yes, you are. And I have a concrete turtle that weighs, I don't know, 250 mm-hmm. pounds or so uh, that's going to go. And then I have I have several other smaller turtles. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, that's pretty cool because, you know, I, you know, I don't ever think about the accessories that yeah. you can put out in the landscape. Yeah, because, yeah, like, out on the, the uh, property, I've got my, um, my granddaddy's favorite swing. I have my mother's favorite bird bath. Mm-hmm. I have my uh, two outdoor lawn chairs that my other set of grandparents were always in. And I have this container. Let's see, my mother passed away in like 2015, and she planted this container in 2010. It was Whoa, a big wow. container. had shrub in it and English ivy. It's still there, just just yeah. like it was, you know, just all this yeah. time. But it's, We have a lighthouse that was, I think, built... Uh, by Carol's grandmother, uh, sometime 1920 or so. Oh, wow. what? Yeah, uh, and it's sta- it's about five feet tall. Um, Ooh, I and love it's, it. it's yeah, it's kind of cool. In fact, I'm going to turn it into a birdhouse. I think. Um, so it's it's uh, Ooh, that, just, and I've just, got just the perfect bird feeder lighthouse for you to go with the birdhouse. <laughs> oh, you know what? Did we forget to go to the break? Yeah, it's time to go to a break. We can go to the break? Okay, we forgot about it. All right, we'll be right back. (laughs) Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Yeah, or, you know, there's a company called Brown Jordan that makes Brown Jordan furniture, and they, I think I said this, they created furniture from a sunken World War II uh, ship. They would take the lumber... No, the uh, metal poles, Oh, the metal. And use that to bend around to make the frames. And then the resale on that's insane. But there's, uh, but I'm telling you this because we're actually having a talk today at Palladio about these types of furnitures and, and how to pick them and choose them because there's so much out there. Like, y'all heard of IPA wood? No. IPA wood. Mm-mm. It's, it's a, re- a renewable type of uh, lumber that almost looks like teak. But it's so durable, but it's sustainable. Now, is it real lumber, though? Or is yeah, it a, it's some... real wood. It's really? called IPA, okay. uh, IPA or IPIE, something like but that. But it's probably not, it's probably not quite today. as expensive <laughs> as teak, either. Mm, yeah. Okay, well, it could yeah. be as expensive. Okay. Yeah, and then you, Good put, answer it there, with that, you put it with that, uh, those uh, poles that come from World War II ships and imagine... Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but yeah, so the outdoor furniture is art and beauty as it's in itself, your chimneys, your fire pits, mm-hmm. all this stuff helps create uh, your outdoor living environment. And uh, then, of course, you know, water gardens like Jim came out and did the water garden talk. And you can build um, water tanks or water gardens in small little places. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have huge spaces to have a versatile garden. Oh, I have to agree with you. And then, of course, you know, our best days are right in front of us. I mean, mm-hmm. spring is, is just, you know, the breath of fresh air, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and like Jim and Beta were saying in the first hour, if you look at the 14-day forecast, it looks pretty darn good, you know, to be honest with you. Now, can we get a little slip up in here and get a little cool mm-hmm. weather? Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, uh, looking at the forecast, it looks like we are geared to go. Yeah, uh, I can't. Pronounced Ipe wood, nice also called right. Brazilian walnut. Yeah, what so there? walnut well, tells there you there. you go. Right. So, you know, you can't <clears throat> just say Brazilian walnut. That doesn't sound as mm-hmm. elegant as... No, it does not, Miss Beta. <laughs> Last, longest lasting woods, in some cases, well over 75 years. Mm. 
Yeah, so you can. It's a good deck wood. Yeah, definitely that too. Well, what about the wood that people have? And then you get the old carpenter bee out there, and they're mm. floating around right now looking for somewhere to bore a hole. Aren't they so cute with the little legs. Yeah, they're cute with the little yellow flying. dot on their head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, is, it can be a real problem that people have wood structures. I mean, carpenter bees would get in there, and it's like you get a drill, and you just drill a hole right into that wood. It's amazing how precise it is. Uh, going out there, if you see that, going out there and spraying uh, with a, uh, you know, like a bifenthrin or even a permethrin, if you will. I mean, you've you got to get out there and spray to control these things. What do you What do y'all sell for the um I mean, we actually bees. have a carpenter bee spray, mm-hmm. you know, that you can buy. It, they just in an aerosol can. It has a tube that you can yeah. spray into the, uh, the, you know, the hole that they create to get the larva and the egg and kill all of them. But my thing is, if you're going to be proactive and be preventative, you can go out there and spray, you know, where there's a wooden swing set that's not stained or not uh, treated, if you will. They love just untreated wood or, un- what if we just, or unpainted wood. What if we tried something like buying some untreated wood and having it accessible. Kind of like hanging the corner with the air for the squirrel and keeping him from getting to the bird feeder. They'll maybe go to the untreated wood that you brought in. I don't know. I try everything. Did I ever tell you the story about uh, Japanese beetle traps? Yeah, yeah, something like they you put <laughs> them you out. Or you end up with more than yeah, you really wanted. You put them out next to the rose. And so the Japanese beetles come to the rose. To get to the trap, but they like the rose it's, it's just amazing. Untreated wood, <laughs> oh, these carpenter so. bees, I mean, they, they love it, I'm telling you. And they're out this time of year. Now, yeah, if it's some wood that I could care less about, who cares? Well, you know, they always bore in from the underside because to keep water from getting in there. Mm-hmm. So if you spray the underside of untreated wood with permethrin, uh, it'll give you six months control probably. And as long as it's not being exposed to heavy rain. Uh, heavy rain. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's not a horrible. It's not a horrible toxic oh, product no. that you've got to worry about. It's spraying. a no. Yeah. It's got a label to use on dogs for fleas yeah. and ticks. I mean, it's yeah. a synthetic pyrethroid that's very broad spectrum. But the cool thing about a permethrin, I mean, it we do spray it to kill insects, no doubt. But it also acts as a repellent. It does both. It has both modes of action. So, just one of those products that's just really good, very broad spectrum when it comes to killing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of different yeah. types of insects. Let's see, today you could put pre-emergence out. You're reading my mind. I wrote our, that one down, Veda. Yeah, because our soil's not saturated. It's still maybe wet. And crabgrass hadn't thought about coming up yet, but it will before long. And if you want to keep that stuff from coming up from seed, get that pre-emergent down. Also, yeah. the broadleaf weeds that are actively growing, uh, go out there and spray the post-emergent to kill the actively growing weeds. Uh, and then I re- also just wrote down real quick, and we'll talk about this every week for the rest of the year, mm-hmm. is the uh, tree and shrub insect drench that we use around shrubs uh, that have uh, insects. In this case, mostly we use it around crepe myrtles that have crepe myrtle bark scale. And I was talking to a young lady yesterday. She had used some of the tree and shrub drench about two years ago. In fact, it was a year and a half ago, she said, around her crepe myrtles. And it had a residual for that long. Uh, but she's going to apply some more this spring at, and as a preventative to be proactive to keep that potential crate myrtle bark scale from affecting her crate myrtles. And she said it wasn't so much the scale that she hated. She hated the black sooty mold that yeah, was associated with it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So she's going to go ahead and pour the drench around the, uh, the crate myrtles. Now, like I told her, the stipulation with that drench, one of them mm-hmm. is don't use the product 
if the ground is already wet mm-hmm. and waterlogged. Let it get a little drier before you come back and use that product. So tree and shrub drench. Why, does it hold it before it releases you want it? it to, exactly. You want that stuff to really get absorbed immediately when you pour it around the trunk of the crepe myrtle. If the ground is waterlogged, it doesn't take it in immediately. Well, I guess it's time to go. I want y'all to visit our Facebook page, chat with Jim on that. Available 24-7. That's right. See Kenneth at Dan West, me at Palladio. See your independent garden centers, and we'll see you next weekend in the garden.